0: It's time for another episode of Aaron and Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And you join us on the 15th of August of 2021. Uh, so coming up on the show, we're going to be talking to you about uh, Samurai Jack. Uh, we're going to talk about, to you about uh, Dog, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. They're all celebrating anniversaries today. Uh, Walter Boone, the voice of uh, Mario from the early 90s, has passed away. We're paying tribute to him. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers animated movie has its first actor casted. Uh, we'll tell you about him. Uh, Viacom CBS has sued uh, the Rusty Crab uh, restaurant, <laughs> not to be confirm- confused, with the grab, but apparently confused by fire CBS. We'll tell you all about that later on. Uh, Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios to start producing an anime. Uh, we're going to tell you all about that as well. Uh, Trey Barker and Matt Stone has officially bought Castle We'll tell you about that purchase. Uh, Fred Ladd, uh, producer of... Uh, who helped produce uh, the anime to the US, has died at the age of 94. We'll tell you about that too. Chloe Bennett has left the live-action Powerpuff Girls series, well, even before it began. We'll tell you about that too. And Craig McCracken's... Uh, c- Kid Cosmic uh, has been renewed for season 2 and 3 on Netflix. We will also be getting into our spoiler section. We'll be telling you about our thoughts on Monsters at Work episode 7 and the Owl House uh, uh, mid-season finale for season 2, episode 10, known as Yesterday's Lie. You are listening to Aaron and Patricia on the 15th of August of 2021. So, Patricia, do you want to tell everybody what's going on on the Old School Lane podcast? Unfortunately,
1: nothing to say considering that I am on my hiatus. As I mentioned in the last episode of Erin and Patricia, I had decided that I was going to be posting a blog discussing about everything that I'm going through over the next few months. I have six classes, two internships, and a lot of things going on in school. So that's why I'm going to be doing my podcast and my videos a lot more infrequently than I would usually do. So um, nonetheless, I will be posting up the uh next five episodes uh discussions of aaron and patricia on my youtube channel when the owl house uh episodes six through ten will be posted up on disney plus And uh, we'll also discuss maybe in more details about some other podcasts that will be coming up in the future. But in the meanwhile, I'm on hiatus mode.
0: Cool. And uh, we're still on hiatus too here at the Arameter Show, so uh, we'll uh, be definitely keep you uh, in touch with uh, various events. But uh, hey Arnold, the 25th anniversary is on our radar at the moment. We are trying to arrange some uh, things uh, to go around that, so uh, it's not like we've forgotten about Hey Arnold and just um, left onto other things, but uh, we will uh, keep you posted on more Hey Arnold stuff uh, coming up uh, as the months go roll ahead. So, Okay, uh, let's talk about the 20th anniversary of Samurai Jack. It came out 20 years ago, one of the most amazing and uh, most uh, thought-provoking and even the most action-packed uh, Cartoon Network series. Uh, Patricia, do you want to go on your memories of Samurai Jack?
1: Yeah, believe it or not, Aaron, I don't know if you remember this, but we actually did a podcast of it many years ago when we when season five of Samurai Jack came out on Adult Swim. So we did talk about our memories of it. We remember when we first saw the pilot and we heard the news about that. This was a show created by Genndy Tartakovsky, who was the creator of Dexter's Laboratory. And it was something completely different from Dexter's Lab, where Dexter's Lab was definitely more of a fun comedy with a lot of sci-fi and uh, pop culture references with anime and superheroes and all that kind of stuff. Samurai Jack was a different show entirely, where it delved with like the evil Aku trying to take over everything. But the only thing that's stopping him is a samurai with a magic sword. And so he flings him into the future, where he basically takes over everything. And the whole point of the show is for him to return to his time and for him to help out the people that Aku has severely affected. And we talked about this in casual chats. You can go listen more in detail with that, but... The more basic stuff with Samurai Jack is that we talked about how amazing the show is. It really used the minimalist atmosphere that permeated throughout the show. Very little dialogue, beautiful music, just breathtaking backgrounds, and the way that they were able to utilize violence in a very unique way, where instead of, you know, using blood, they would instead have robots, because it's kind of a hodgepodge of, like, the past and the future mixed in together. So there would also be um, scenes where Jack would be cutting up robots and there'll be like a whole bunch of oil spilling all over him trying to resemble blood. And, you know, there were a lot of episodes that really just... Stood out in terms of, you know, what people would consider to be the best, like, you know, obviously the the pilot, uh, which is the first three episodes combined into one where it became like a TV movie. I believe it was even nominated for an Emmy. That's how big it was. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of episodes where, you know, Jack met up with some various characters. He met up with the Scotsman, which is a very popular character and. Um, He met up with, uh, you know, a whole crew of, um, you know, characters that uh, Aku would be hiring so that they can take down Jack and uh, various others. So, yeah, I mean, the show is really, really great. Still holds up after 20 years later. I mean, it was definitely like the beginning point in which when in the 90s, you know, shows were either uh, influenced by three things. The Simpsons, Ren and Stimpy, or Batman the Animated Series, where it was either trying to be dark, edgy, comic book-esque... Uh, superhero shows kind of like gargoyles or try to be like gross out like um, You know schnookums and meat or it tried to be like an animated sitcom like the simpsons such as uh, the critic But in the 2000s, it was heavily inspired by anime and Gendy Tarttosky I mean we even knew this from Dexter's lab that he loves speed racer and Gundam and all those things And you can definitely see see and feel the love of anime pouring into Samurai Jack and we would have a lot of other shows from the 2000's that were heavily influenced by anime uh, such as Shaolin Showdown, Teen Titans, and Avatar The Last Airbender so yeah this was definitely a pioneer show and one that uh, a lot of people for the longest time try to fight hard to getting a fifth season because, um, you know, we I mean, I guess we already talked about this in the podcast, but Gendy Tartatowski wanted to take a break. And he felt that the 52 episodes were just enough, even though it kind of left on a cliffhanger that was too ambiguous for a lot of people saying like, oh, you know, but, you know, will Jack ever get home? And we did get that eventually, but... I mean, still to this day, a lot of people are very mixed with it. But, yeah, I mean, Samurai Jack's still a fantastic show.
0: Yeah, but one thing that's amazing about Samurai Jack is that, uh, you know how great the show is when it stands out? And yes. uh, at the time, like, uh, this, uh, 2001, I mean, like, uh, we had just come off all the 90s shows, and the 90s shows were even still going for overhang at this point. It's not like they'd gone away. I mean, like, hey, Arnold was still uh, going through its seasons, so, you know, the Powerpuff Girls were still going through uh, their motions as well. They were like uh, three years in at this point. You had the Avengers, Grim Avengers of Billy and Mandy also uh, debuted on that same year, and uh, also uh, we had, uh, you know, the, the Very Odd Parents. Also coming in on that, yeah. So you can well imagine, uh, and also Justice League also was uh, a thing at that point as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, oh, I, mean, I also, <laughs> do I ever dare I forget the Proud Family? <laughs> that's going to be coming back soon. So, like, oh, yeah, uh, right. yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you've been, um, when you've got loads of cartoon shows and you've got a very wide variety, and keep this in mind, streaming wasn't an option at this point. You know, like no. uh, yeah, like you had to watch it on television. You had to have a satellite subscription, or you had to, you know, basically see if you get it free to wear, You know, on the uh, on the on on the blocks that you would have like on the on the traditional television uh, TV stations. So you'd have to wait for that. But uh, you know, um, the one thing that Samurai Jack did have going for it is, I agree with you, Patricia. That it, it had style, and it had sound, and it had a, a feel to it that all the other cartoon shows couldn't even get to emulate. You know, like uh, so, you know, even Justice League. I mean, it, 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 at the end of the day, it's like it's uh, you know, Samurai Jack is uh, you know, he's a samurai and uh, he uh, he does come across as uh, like uh, you know, a way, kind of kind of Batman-esque in a way, but uh, he did it in his own style and uh, he had his own feel to to himself. Whilst Batman had like kind of like a, a darker aspect to it and uh, also, um, dare I say, probably a, a more tragic backstory than Samurai Jack did. But uh, you know, Samurai didn't have that kind of overhang, if you will. I mean, we wouldn't learn too much much about um, much of his backstory until probably like, you know, later on in season five, when we finally saw like, you know, kind of the real traumatic stuff that he'd, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd witnessed. But, um, you know, um, Samurai Jack, I think, had um, uh, had its own presence on the screen. And even though it was uh, quite minimalist what they did with it, it was just, it was, uh, it, it was far more, it was far more identifiable. And it, stand, it stood out from everything else that was out there at the time. So right. it, it had yeah. a lot going for it. It so. did.
1: And and like I mentioned before, you know, it was the show that kind of like was the Kickstarter for where cartoons would go over the next decade, where it was heavily influenced by anime, where I think that um, anime was such a huge, powerful thing that came out for the Americans. And we'll, we'll talk about that later when we talk about Fred Ladd. But um Everybody, like all the creators were like, you know, um, growing up with anime and then they would put it into their shows. And we saw that around the 2000s and we we still kind of see that to this day. I mean, we'll be talking about the Owl House in just a moment. But yeah, I mean, Samurai Jack was definitely like uh, a catalyst for what will be coming out over the next couple of years. And I think that um, for anybody who's interested in checking out all the stuff that Cartoon Network will be releasing around that time, Um, It's definitely like a major standout. I mean, sure, you have like uh, Teen Titans, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. You had, um, you know, various other shows that kind of was there and uh, try to like definitely cater to like the more comedic stuff like um, Camp Laszlo created by Joe Murray and Chowder created by C.H. Greenblatt and uh, various others, but yeah, Samurai Jack was, you know, it was funny, but it definitely took itself really seriously. Like, when you get to see more of Jack's backstory, it really tugs into your heartstrings. And when you get to see about all the people that Aku has heavily affected, it's like absolutely heartbreaking i mean you know we see how you know aku is like this oh you know over the top ham and you know do it saying a whole bunch of stupid jokes and all that kind of stuff but you have to remember he's a dictator and he took over everything and everybody's lives were affected in a negative way and jack is supposed to be the one who helps everybody you know he's like the hope where everything is like really really depressing and post apocalyptic and just decimated so yeah, I think that Jack definitely was the light that was shining in the darkness that was Aku. And I know a lot of people, they felt that Season 5 was a bit too dark. I mean, especially when we do get to know about Asha. But still, I I mean, I and I know that a lot of people were kind of, like, mixed with the ending. Where, yes, Jack was able to finally go back into the past. And yes, Jack was finally able to defeat Aku, but at the cost of losing somebody that he loved. And yeah, it's complicated and even with all the people that he helped along the way, I mean, they wouldn't even remember remember him. So, yes, it is very tragic, but I don't know. It's it's like it's it's complicated. You know, it's it's really complicated.
0: It is, yeah, but at the same time, you know, it's um I mean, you could say that he he succeeded in his mission and uh, which is what he set out to do from the very beginning. So, like, yeah. uh, his, uh, whole, his whole purpose at that time was obviously getting to, you know, to get rid of Aku uh, at the time. And also, I mean, like, uh, he, like, uh, I know some people don't like the ending, obviously, because of what happened to Ashi. And I, I get that, but at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, it wouldn't have made sense for her to, stay, to be alive anyway, because uh, she is part of Aku so it's like uh, that, that so in a way i i understand why they went in that direction and uh, likelihood is like a lot of people will probably not remember samurai jack but i don't think uh, that's what he, he he wasn't out for fame at the end of the day like he wasn't out to be like oh hey i'm the big hero you know who uh at the end of the day he just wanted to you know um bring peace to his world and he got that so i just yeah. think uh, so um that's another thing kind of like about jack he's not, he, he doesn't kind of boast about what he does you know, like uh, he just—he's—he's—he's he's, uh, he's fixed within his mission, and he's fixed within, uh, you know, some uh, somewhat—you uh, know—can uh, content with uh, the idea that he's going to succeed in the end. You know, right? Like, uh, right. Yeah, he's—he's uh, he's solely focused on uh, the-, the task at hand. He's not, uh, you know, looking out for glory or anything like that like uh, as well because uh, it, it, you can tell that he didn't he wasn't glory seeking either because in the episode where you know Ashley follows him to uh, you know because he's going to he's obviously going to uh, you know uh, do the honor uh, do like uh, you know uh, take his own life you know where uh, he goes like uh, for, she goes through like all the worlds and, and sees like all the all the tales of like how uh, you know Samurai Jack helps him out and uh, they did like all these tributes for him but uh, they, he never really not he, he didn't like you know uh, you know really like acknowledge them or anything like that he just kind of like it like he was the right thing to do you know so uh, and then when I mean. when Ashi points that out to him that you know people needed him then obviously he he, he turned around at that so. Um, Yeah, that's the kind of hero, that's the kind of guy that Samurai Jack was, and that's the type of protagonist that you can find likable and respectable in a guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Samurai Jack, uh, 20 years, uh, still going strong, so check it out.
1: Yes, and uh, as soon as you're done checking out all five seasons, then go check out the podcast that we did together.
0: Mm Cool. Cool. Right, okay, so um, big anniversary for uh, uh, many Nicktoons. Actually, it was pretty much the uh, the founding fathers of Nicktoons. If there was ever a rat- Mount Rushmore of Nicktoons, I think Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy definitely would be on that mountain, I think, to say the <laughs> least. So, uh, anyway, happy 30th anniversary to uh, for all the fans of Doug, Rugrats, and Ren and Stimpy. So, um, shall we start with Doug first? because I think... Yeah, uh, let's start with Doug. uh, Actually, one thing I would like to ask you to start off with is, do you think Doug, out of the three, do you think he's probably the least appreciated uh, Nicktoon? Do this do it's think? hard
1: okay now here's the thing and i've all i made an analysis video talking about um how doug was able to become influential with its simplicity where doug was very relatable he was grounded i mean you have to remember that this came out around the early 90s and the only slice of life anything that we had at the time was peanuts And even to, and you know, this was like the beginning of the slice of life genre for Americans. And I'm sure that you know Japan has its own, but I'm talking about like specifically for like that particular audience, where you know, I I I don't know if you've ever seen this, babe, but there's like this um, chart where Doug is like called primordial doug and all the other slice of life cartoons that would come out afterwards would be like compared to doug like pepper Ann is girl doug and um loyden space is alien doug and um recess is group of doug so yeah doug was definitely the one that really kick-started the slice of life genre a lot of people have made the argument that doug doesn't hold up compared to the you know other nicktoons that we'll be talking about in just a moment because um other slice of life cartoons would come out and would take the elements that doug did and just improve on it in every single way i also did a video about this where i talked about the five reasons that hey arnold was an improvement over doug where story wise character wise setting wise it was able to improve immensely and people just don't seem interested in looking back on doug because they say it's bland and you know doug is a bland character the show is slow paced and boring but i think that you have to understand that Uh, Doug was definitely very relatable for a lot of people who grew up at that time and also the situations that were played on the episodes were something that real kids were going through at the time and I think that Doug deserves not to be hated on compared to what the internet would say where you know they would talk about that you know Doug is irrelevant and Doug doesn't need to be watched on because you know we have other shows that are better I was invited over to a podcast called yesterday's capers where um, the the host and I were talking about Doug and the Weekenders, and I saw the Weekenders for like th- literally the f- it was almost like the first time because I mean I saw like one episode or two, but I came into watching the at least half of the season uh, series of the Weekenders with fresh eyes, and I was like, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people like the Weekenders. It's considered to be a cult classic, and we did talk about this a while ago when they celebrated their twentieth anniversary, but. Everything that I've seen The Weekenders on, I've seen it either in Doug or in other Slice of Life cartoons, and I just find it middling, while Doug is, you know, it's more groundbreaking. I even praise Doug for that, so,
0: yeah, I I, I I know a lot of people- I think what was unique about The Weekenders is that uh, how it uses three-act structure, which is that, uh, you know, obviously it would be uh, Friday, the, the, the episode would start, then we get into Saturday, and then we get into Sunday. And that's basically yeah. how it would all it would all kind of like pan out. So uh, the weekend was unique in in that instance. But yeah, I agree with you. I think, uh, but the thing I think we we can make this argument for most other shows that basically do this with like kids in a group setting that have a a, 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 a some kind of like task to kind of like do. You know, like uh, I mean, obviously there's those other crazy cartoons that we have, which obviously you know don't do. Uh, actually, we kind of make us think that you know maybe dog is probably the same option in some points. But uh, we're talking looking at you, Johnny Test. But uh, um, in Regards to Doug, as you know, the the first show to accomplish this this type of thing. I mean, the, the, even the beginning is quite humble. I mean, like it's a it's a family moving into Bluffington. You know, it's obviously Doug's you know move for the first time. He's uh, got to deal with basically growing up in a completely new setting, and uh, he's got to also you know deal with uh, his older sister, and obviously you know their uh, her her parents, and uh, also like I, I believe his dad like changed like jobs a few times. I believe in the show. If, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, so you know, there's dealing with that as well, like dealing with the uh, you know a, a father figure that uh, doesn't really have uh, much uh, stability, and then obviously you go, you know, I think I think Dog's mom was not uh, all that memorable to me. I think uh, that's uh, I mean, yeah. I the the that. only
1: thing. Yeah, the only thing that people remember about Doug's mom was that she was just obsessed with recycling, just like in that one episode where she um, finds out about, oh, you know, there's trash all over the streets and we need to go over to the mayor to beautify Bluffington and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she worked in a recycling center and she was concerned about the environment. And that's pretty much it. Judy, in fact, is probably the most memorable character out of all of them because... I mean, the, the, You know, the funny family, of course. I mean, other than Doug. And Porkchop, I guess. You know, Porkchop's also a good character. But oh, yeah, yeah. Judy was but Judy was the one that kind of like accentuated personality. She was like the beatnik who uh, thought that everything was just pedestrian and bohemian and all that kind of stuff. And she was talking about Shakespeare and she loved poetry. And yeah, she definitely exemplifies the uh, 60s hipster movement revived in the 90s. I, I, I talked about that in the video, so go check it out. But Uh, Then, you know, you have all the other characters, you have Skeeter, you have Patty, you have Chalky, you have BB, you have Connie, you have Roger. I mean, a lot of these characters, a lot of people remember. I mean, I know a lot of people nowadays, they consider them to be tropes, like, oh, Patty is the jock slash love interest, Skeeter is the goofball, Chalky (laughs) is the jock.
0: Yeah, well, it is going to make what made the characters fun. You know, like yeah, because uh, yeah, like on top of that, like the fact that you also also you had uh, situations where you could uh, you could give these characters their own episodes, pretty much. You know, like uh, if you remember, like Judy was like trying to do the school play, and uh, obviously it wasn't done to uh, uh, you know uh, Principal Bones, you know, were uh, liking. So he ended up taking over the thing. And he ended up sucking, and then she walked in like you know mi- you know m- midway through the, inter- in the through the interval, like changed it all back to the way she wanted, it and everyone enjoyed it you know Mm -hmm. so like uh, so they all all the characters are uh, really good at like uh, having their own like say within episodes and uh, so Judy definitely Judy was one of my favourite characters I have to say oh yeah absolutely I I, I like Judy do you know what would be fun I'd love to see Judy and Daria interact with one another
1: Oh, that would
0: be so awesome, actually. <laughs> yeah, come on. Get, get, there must be a comic convention out there. Must get these two voice actresses, you know, together. Come on, <laughs> like, you know, do <laughs> that. They, we all just, we all just get, we just all just gawk at them and just just having so much fun with it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like uh, so, um, you know, so and yeah, I just think. But the one thing I, I mean, I think you and I are probably going to part ways on this. I think, but uh, I, I'm going to say this. I think Nickelodeon's dog is uh, far more fun than Disney's dog. I think. Yeah,
1: and I, I made an entire video about this. it called Is Disney's Doug Really That Bad? Which, by the way, I recently got a comment on that video of how long the video was. It's over an hour, by the way. <laughs> and, and then they said, uh, and I quote, Wait, why is this video an hour long? I'm geeky, but not that much. Well, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a super geek. Oh, I okay? am too. So, like, uh, wait. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you're listening to this show, you're probably a massive geek like us so yeah like, uh, there you go they, they, they <laughs> well, show, there you go they're showing for jocks you know so uh, but, yeah <laughs> but uh so um but you know like uh obviously with i mean actually it wasn't interesting thing, i think that uh, you and i i'm sorry to talk production during the podcast but uh, have you actually and I done like a casual chance of like just talking about dog I remember. no we, we never done, did
1: right? I've never done a pa- a casual chat about Doug. Yeah, so well,
0: I don't- we, we should do one, I really think because uh, I, I know we've like done videos and things like that and we've discussed it like you know we like done like analysis things and things like that, but I think we should just kind of sit down and talk about the show. Yeah, Uh,
1: I mean, now that I think about it, um, you know, a lot of people have been requesting me to do a casual chat on the three Nicktoons. I mean, not so much Rugrats, because I do view from the crib with ZL, where we look at every episode of each season, which, by the way, I still have season three up. I'm just editing it. (laughs) It's over four hours long. Please be patient. But, yeah, and as for Ren and Stimpy, I mean... Um, I know Ren and Stippy is pretty controversial to talk about nowadays with John K, but I do have the Ren and Stippy documentary, and I'm still trying to sort out how I can be able to download the DVD into my computer, which I did find a way, and I will work on that. But yeah, as for Doug, I mean, other than those... Um, you know, this, those videos, I've never done a podcast on it. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's long overdue.
0: Yeah. I mean, in, in, in regards to Ren and Stimpy, I mean, if we're going to Ren and Stimpy now anyway, so I think we should probably just talk about the show. Like, in regards to, like, the John Kay stuff, I mean, like, keep in mind, Chris Zavino was the creator of The Loud House, and obviously he had his controversies, and he fell out of the project. And so, you know, like, uh, it's uh, there's other people who worked on Ren and Stimpy besides John Kay. You know, so. Yeah, I
1: mean, and very similar to Clarence, in which the creator of the show also left around the early seasons because of the same reasons that Chris Savino left. And the show was able to continue on without him, and that worked out. I mean, even though a lot of people still find Clarence to be really controversial because of that, but I digress. But yeah, um, a lot of people have kind of distanced themselves from Ren and Stimpy because of the allegations with John
0: Kay. Well, and surprisingly, I, I, under- I, go, I sometimes go on social media, and Nickelodeon sometimes still posts about Ren and Stimpy. I mean,
1: yeah, you have to understand that, I I mean, I I think you can agree with this, Aaron, that out of the three Nicktoons, Ren and Stimpy was definitely the most influential.
0: Exactly. I mean, it was even referenced in The Simpsons. I mean, like not uh... only
1: not yeah oh yeah i remember that's i remember that episode because i actually um did that little um uh the the video um uh media hall of fame where uh, it was that one episode where bart and lisa were writing uh you know for Krusty the clown um you know the itchy and scratchy cartoons and they were actually nominated for an emmy and uh then it was like you know uh, red and stimpy and then the picture is um animation not shown here so yeah I yeah, know well, about that. Well,
0: actually, there was actually uh, there was an episode. I'm pretty sure where I don't know if it was either Homer or if it was like um, where they actually were watching Ren and Stimpy, and actually had I it on know, TV. What you-
1: I, I know what you're referring to, and yes, that actually did happen, and um, you can read about this in Sick Little Monkeys, the unauthorized Ren and Stimpy story by Thad Komoroski, but they actually brought some of the crew of Ren and Stimpy to do that cartoon.
0: Yeah, which, uh, by the way, I mean, like, that's not too, you know, uh, fantastic now, given the fact that, you know, uh, Rick and Morty have, like, uh, done, like, a couch gag, and, like, you've had, like, other guest animators walk in and kind of, like, bring their stuff to the to the table as well. Also, there was that infamous episode of The Critic as well, which we don't talk about, but um, you know, like, uh, yeah, so, we to Ren and Stimpy I mean like it was everywhere like uh, the the merchandise that was, was just flying off the shelves for Ren and Stimpy everyone loved the characters and uh, they didn't really care how crazy the show was like you know they were just uh, you know pretty iconic in that mind you the one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind was when um, Ren was dying like I don't even remember like he, he found out that, like he was 70 years old and then like you know they're like planning to like how he was gonna like his demise and stuff yeah. like that yeah that was uh that was quite a, that was quite a disturbing episode.
1: I mean, so. it, it, to be fair, it was one of the later season episodes. So, yeah, I mean, they really went there. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, the the first two episodes, uh, I mean, sorry, first two seasons of Ren and Stimpy, a lot of people consider to be, like, the most classic because, you know, Spunko worked on it, and, uh, you know, John Kay was, you know, heavily influenced by Bob Clampett. I mean, you can definitely tell with, like, looking at the character designs of, um, you know, with Stimpy, which is based off of a character from gruesome twosome which is a tweety cartoon from the 40s and also with the crazy um zaniness of classic looney tunes and hanna-barbera cartoons uh he was hugely influenced by that and he put it into ren and stimpy but just elevated it so much where it just pretty much broke all the rules i mean it just i mean it's an underestimate of what ren and stimpy was able to do for animation i mean animation at the you're on the 80s you know it was just nothing but 30 minute toy commercials and any you know, like oh you know properties from like 20 years ago you know so uh, John Kay was able to come in bring some fresh ideas And he was the one who brought back you know the storyboarding thing which uh, back then um, wasn't used as much anymore because uh, you know storyboarding took a lot of time and you know too much drawing effort so that's why they'd use script based which is what you know sitcoms do nowadays like The Simpsons or um, Family Guy or any of the sort, but storyboarding was when they get to be able to take the script and then just draw it, and then the animators would just use some of the storyboards and then just put it into the final screen. And they brought that back in a massive way. Nowadays, pretty much everybody uses storyboarding as their way of drawing animation. Uh, I think.
0: I think there wasn't the reason the reasons that uh, some shows got rid of storyboarding because basically it would cause debates amongst the the, cr- the creators of the show and like the staff. Like when they were trying to do a run through of the episode, because I believe uh, I think uh, um, Rocco's Modern Life did a, uh, a parody of this when they <laughs> were creating that show. Yeah, so like there was over like, uh, okay, so uh, you know the phone's going to ring, and then the heifer would say doorbell, and like and it's like so they would change all of the stuff around, and then there'd be like loads of stuff on the board. If would be like, okay, let's go through this again. So it's like, so uh, um, you know, oh they answer the doorbell. It's like, oh, well, can we have a telephone? Like you know that, yes. that whole thing. Yeah. So you know, even Rocco's Modern Life poked fun at the uh, whole idea of like storyboarding. You know, because he just, yeah, calls, th- th- I yeah. mean,
1: there, there, there was a lot of reasons why, but yeah, I, I, I mean, other than like, you know, um, you know, animated sitcoms like The Simpsons and Bob's Burgers and various other shows, um, you know, most animated shows nowadays do storyboards, and Ren and Stimpy brought that back. And another thing that it brought back was um, the way that it was able to just utilize the backgrounds. Like, if you were to take a look at the backgrounds of Ren and Stimpy, they are very detailed, it's very detailed weird and colorful and angular and just you know filled with like weird shapes and drawings and um you know William Ray who's the one who did the a lot of the backgrounds for Ren and Stimpy and you know he's an artist and he was able to just use the you know classic acrylic paint and you know be able to just you know do all these like weird uh design choices and then you have bob camp who you know a lot of people now consider to be the true creator of ren and stimpy at this point he was the one who wrote a lot of and fantastic episodes of ren and stimpy and he also became the showrunner after john Kay left and uh, also, you know, one that's not a complete jerk. But anyway.
0: <laughs> but uh, by the way, I just want to clarify something about this because I think uh, wasn't it? It wasn't like the uh, the the later stuff about John Kay—that's the reason he got kicked out of Nickelodeon. It was, oh uh, no! Yeah.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah. A lot of people have made a lot of controversial discussions about like, oh, this is the real reason why John Kay left. It wasn't because he was—I mean, you know—partly it was because he was a jerk, but no, that wasn't it. It was because that. Episodes of Ren and Stimpy took way too long to put out and it cost the company loads of money like Doug Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy had I mean Doug and Rugrats had revealed their first 13 episodes already and Ren and Stimpy had six. And they would air them over and over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, but I think yeah, there was one thing that kind of like pushed things over. I mean, there, there was multiple reasons why they got rid of John Kay. Obviously, the the, late, the latest the latest stuff wasn't wasn't part of that. But uh, there was one. Apparently, there was one particular incident where they had an, an episode in the show that uh, where. Uh, 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 Ren beat uh, like uh, there was a I mean, one of the characters were, like with an oar and completely brutalised him and leaving him black and blue. Oh and yes, that's th- yeah, th- that that's was that. right. Yeah, and there was that scene, and apparently that pushed things over the line quite a bit. And uh, you know, yeah. John Kay and Nickelodeon had a very fracturous relationship because obviously he had a vision of what Ren and Stimpy was, and Nickelodeon had their own vision of it. And then when they finally gave him the boot, you know, they took over production and basically went with their own uh, tangent of what they thought uh, Ren and Stimpy should have been. So, yeah. yeah, and
1: the fans were pissed. They blamed Bob Camp for kicking out John Kay, and there were like, you know, even like, you know, threats <laughs> to Nickelodeon. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight is 2020. 20. <laughs> 20.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, getting away from that. I mean, like, uh, so, um, obviously, you yeah, know, Ren and Snippy unfortunately had a, a bit of a taint after that. I mean, like, uh, they uh, ended up doing Adult Party Cartoon. Which uh, obviously was uh, the you know, the infamous you know says set of Ren and Simpy episodes, which none of the fans like. So, nope. so it's always been about the Nickelodeon you know version of the show. So, uh, but uh, and also uh, you know uh, give credit to Billy West as well because uh, he uh, took up uh, I think uh, both roles. I think he did. Yep, he
1: did yep, he, he did Stimpy and then John did Wren. And then after John was let go, then Billy took over for Wren. So he did both Wren and Stimpy. And not only that, but he did the announcer, he did the salesman, he did a whole slew of characters on the show. And this was like I mean, you have to remember Billy West not only did Ren and Stimpy, but he also did Doug and Roger around the same time.
0: Oh uh, Billy West did loads of things during that time. Like, you know, his 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 schedule was probably more packed. Than the president of the United States, <laughs> you know, like uh, he, he, he did he did a load of stuff at that time. Like he, he was, yeah, he was in he, demand.
1: Oh yeah, he was in huge demand, especially if you remember this was around the same time he was doing the Howard Stern show.
0: Yeah, it was, it's kind of amazing that he ended up doing Futurama. You know, like uh, it's uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a big role to do Fry, but uh, you know, given his schedule, he's surprised that you know he, Matt Groen, managed, managed to get his attention.
1: Yeah. I, like I said, you know, I mean, his. I mean, his stint with Howard Stern was coming to an end, and uh, remember, he didn't do Disney's incarnation of Doug. And, you know, he did do a few oh, yeah. other he, roles he, in he, between.
0: He, he's got on record to say he can't watch the show. Like, no, he uh, can't.
1: Yeah. He he hates the Disney incarnation. He, he tried watching it, but every time he did... It, it, it felt like a train wreck to him. Well, so, can you blame him? Yeah.
0: Like, you know, the, the show was like uh, they had to make massive. Well, not. I don't sure if they were forced to make massive changes in the show. Like, I don't know if it's just the fact that it was another. They tried to treat it like as another season of the show, and so they basically progressed it to like where you know what, was Mr. Dink's wife was now the mayor, and uh, now uh, Roger, Roger was basically a, a, a rich kid, and uh, yep. you know they had like uh, you know other stuff was going on. Like, uh, um, did they replace? They replaced Principal Bone, didn't they? Like, uh,
1: well, you know. okay, so I guess I explain this so in a later episode that happened in the season it was called doug's secret to success mr bone became the vice principal of bb bluff middle school how it, well it turned out that their real principal decided to take a test about what, what is your career of choice and it turned out He's supposed to be a billionaire by day, crime fighter by night, and he became the beaver. I'm not joking. That actually happened. Mm -hmm. And so the principal decided to look, okay, um, I need to find a vice principal to take over. And so um, he found Mr. Bone out of a slew of other great candidates, like a werewolf and a mummy. Yes. And he found Mr. Bone, and so he decided to hire him. Now, it's never explained on why Mr. Bone um, left... You know uh bluffington school i don't know if he was fired i don't know if he quit i have no idea but yeah he did come back in an episode of that um you know that that episode and then he would continue being a part of the series from then onward
0: mm-hmm. so uh but uh, you know uh if we, if we talk about Dog, We talk about ren and stimpy but uh, yeah, so he has a run on, we're on to the rugrats which is like you know you think would be like the bigger show of the two so, uh,
1: I mean, t- yeah. I-, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because. Oh, also well say it's Stimpy, the Rugrats. <laughs> yeah, while Ren and Stimpy was like the big influential juggernaut, Rugrats was the one that made Nickelodeon the most money. I mean, it- it's not hard to say that after Ren and Stimpy ended its run in '95, and then they started to do the reruns of Rugrats, and then they put out the Hanukkah special. And then that was it. That history was made. Rugrats became a huge contender after that. There was the merchandise. There was uh, the renewal of the seasons where it, instead of going for the first three, like a traditional um, you know, animated show was at the time where they have like 65 episodes and then they'll just have reruns and syndication. But in this case where um everybody was praising Red and Stimpy around the early 90s everybody was praising Rugrats around the mid to late 90s and this was when Rugrats had the movies this was when Rugrats had the spin-off series i mean it, the same thing that SpongeBob is going through now Rugrats already went through it 25 uh, almost 30 years ago
0: yeah and uh, well yeah i was going to say that the Rugrats movie like him he made nickelodeon like one hundred and forty, you know 141 million dollars you know, like yes, uh, it was...
1: and, and and I mentioned this before. First animated movie not done by Disney to make that kind of money.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, I believe uh, then they continue on. Actually, uh, this is the thing about this: the Rugrats movie wasn't all that well received either. Like you know, it's, no. uh, it wasn't. But uh, you know, then they and you would have thought like after the reception, you thought that uh, they would be done. But no, they came up with Rugrats in Paris and made even more money. <laughs> you know, like and yeah. uh, it got better got better reviews. So, so like you know, Rug- yeah. Rugrats in Paris was a massive uh, over, uh, improvement over the Rugrats movie.
1: Yes, it was. And this is from and you know, this is even from somebody like me. And you know, a lot of people may disagree with me saying, Oh, but regrets the movie, you know, it's a classic. And I'm like, I don't agree. I mean, I don't like... I mean, the first, the introduction of Dill kind of, like, really turned me off. And it turned off a lot of people my age who, you know, saw Rugrats when it first came out. And it's like, oh, great. You know, now we have this annoying baby character. And, you know, the whole thing about, like, oh, but, you know, you know that scene where Tommy was about to dump the, the you know, the, the, the baby food on Dill. And, you know, he stopped him from doing it. That was a touching moment. It made me cry. And I'm like, I think it was forced. I'm sorry. Yeah. I think it was just genuinely forced. I didn't fall for it. I didn't like Dill then, and I kind of don't like him now, especially with what they did with him in All Grown Up where they turned him into a conspiracy nut. Oh, we'll talk about that later, by the way.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, mind you, in regards to the uh, the movies, even uh, it couldn't survive, you know, the third movie where it went wild. So, um, yeah. And, I, uh,
1: I, I, I hate that movie so much. I'm yeah. sorry.
0: Yeah, it's like I I can't get over the fact that you know what was this? It was um, uh, you know his his name just goes flying out of my head now. It was uh, Bruce Willis. Yeah, he 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 voices apparently Bruce Willis apparently a spike in this movie.
1: Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: Jesus. Yeah. Oh,
1: that was a terrible choice. I mean, the, the you know Bruce Willis as Spike. It, it wasn't the character. I I don't know what they they were thinking of. It's like okay, you know this loving, compassionate dog that would be around with Tommy and the gang. Let's turn him into a cocky jerk.
0: Yeah, it just it didn't work. No nope.
1: Not at all. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, you yeah. Gotta, uh, you don't uh, really
0: defend it as, like, Eliza's interpretation of Spike, either. Because, like, uh, nope. you know, it's just, it's, uh, it is Spike, whether yep. you like it or not, so.
1: Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, just like um, how all of these uh, Nicktoons became, like, hugely influential. And, you know, all three of them had their own version of either a spin off or a reboot. So... Uh, Disney had all you know. Uh, Disney brought back Doug with Disney's Doug, obviously, and uh, Ren and Stimpy had Adult Party Cartoon on Spike, and then Rugrats had All Grown Up, Rugrats Preschool Days, and then the reboot, which is currently on Paramount Plus.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so yeah, a lot of people have made the argument about um, you know which is the worst. I mean, Adult Party Cartoon is the worst, hands down. Mm -hmm. But as for like, which is the second worst, that's hard to say. I mean, I might do a video on All Grown Up in the Future, but they're problematic for different reasons. I made the argument that Doug came out around the time when there were a lot of other Slice of Life cartoons that were out that were uh, superior in every single way, but... All Grown Up goes through a different problem. It, it feels like they were trying to do As Toll by Ginger, but with Rugrats characters, and that didn't exactly work. And also, it came out around the time when Slice of Life cartoons were no longer popular. I mean, I, we already talked about this with the Samurai Jack discussion, that anime was a huge influence on a lot of creators of cartoons. And so that's why we saw a lot more action-packed cartoons. And Slice of Life cartoons were considered to be passe, boring. I even heard this one guy who discussed about... Why would I watch a show about kids going to school when I'm going through school myself? It's like, why? If I find it pointless. I want to be able to watch Batman. I don't want to watch something like Doug where, you know, he's going through problems where I'm going through the same problems, which yeah. I can see where it, they're coming from.
0: Yeah, I, I can see because, you know, at the time that uh, All Grown Up came out, I mean, like uh, Teen Titans and, uh, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, 2003 revival was going through. So, like, exactly. you know, it, it, it still got like a sore thumb pretty much. Like yeah.
1: A, yeah. Know. And so, yeah, both of them came out, um, in kind of awkward times. Doug, uh, Disney's Doug came out when, you know, Hey Arnold and Arthur and all the other slice of life cartoons that were coming out were way better than Doug. And, all Grown Up came out in a time in which nobody really cared about slice-of-life cartoons anymore, and it just kind of died out, and yeah. it kind of would die out for the next decade until shows such as uh, Craig of the Cree, Clarence, and The Loud House would come back and kind of revitalize it again.
0: Yeah, and also there was kind of a bit of a change in the era at that time as well, because uh, at, the, at the time, uh, it was, uh, you know, Lilo and Stitch, I believe, came out at the same time, which was like, uh, you know, hey, we want to move, uh, you know, cartoons in like a more aggressive, more, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, uh, lam- you know, in a different direction, basically. So yeah. I think uh, the 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 change was in the air. I think at the Absolutely. time. Absolutely.
1: So. Yeah. So um yeah the Doug Rugrats running in Simpy thirty years st- you know for a lot of people still going strong especially Rugrats since they have the reboot but <laughs> yeah um well, well st- know,
0: strong in uh, the uh, I mean in, in the longevity sense so strong as in whether everyone likes it or not uh, that's another story.
1: Very true, but still, uh, three of these shows are influential. They still hold up. Uh, go watch them on Paramount Plus or Amazon Prime or Hulu, whichever that you have them. And yeah, definitely check it out for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we want to pay tribute today to Walt Walker Boone. He uh, sadly uh, passed us, left us away. He's passed away in uh, in start. He's actually passed in the uh, start of twenty twenty one, and we only just found out now so yeah like, uh, that's that's sad you know like uh you find out you know you find out that uh you know now what we're in august now and we found out he yes. actually passed away in, in january apparently uh, I, that's
1: that's unbelievable it's like um when i first heard about john paragon who you know had you know played as like john the genie in uh Wee's playhouse and you know he was in um um uh, you know, a, a UHF that we talked about a while ago. And I found out that he passed away, even though that he passed away months ago. And I'm like, wait, when did this happen? So yeah, it's a very similar situation where Walker Boone, who was the voice of Mario in The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers 3 and the Super Mario World cartoon, he had uh, passed away until, you know, like you said, the end of January, but nobody knew about it until just recently. You know, so that,
0: that's so weird in today of the internet. Like you know, like uh, when when you when someone passes away, you know about it. Basically, it's like uh, yeah. it's it's, it's, it's uh, you know, like it's kind of like uh, I will listen. To, I started listening to uh, Jim Cornette, who uh, was uh, on his uh, Jim Cornette experience, and uh, uh so, you know he talks about like uh, oh you know uh, back in the day in uh, professional wrestling, you wouldn't know about a wrestler who had passed away until you basically read about it later in like uh, a couple of months later in like uh, one of the uh, the wrestling magazines or something like that. You you wouldn't know. And, uh, but, you know, in the day of the internet, you would know right away if uh, if a professional wrestler had passed away. Or something like that. Right. Or so something had happened. You know, for this to go flying under the radar for months on end, and for us only just to talk about it now, that's sad.
1: You that know, is like, very sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like... Uh, but I- I uh, think... a lot
1: of people may... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Is
0: there any explanation of why we only found out now?
1: Like... I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether it may be because... Uh, maybe his family wanted to keep his death private, or maybe it, the other slew of other deaths that were going on kind of like overshadowed this one. I don't know. There's never, there was never an explanation on why we just found out about it recently.
0: Yeah, it's just so strange. But uh, is... anyway, he uh, he was the early voice of Mario, and uh, yeah, in, in the, I think uh...
1: that he was like, I think it was like maybe the. Th- second or third voice of Mario because remember um, Lu- uh, Lou Cal- Albino yeah, Captain the- Lou
0: Albano. yeah <laughs> speaking yeah. of wrestling
1: <laughs> <laughs> and also um, Peter Cullen yeah, Optimus Prime himself also voiced as Mario in the uh, Saturday Supercade where it was like in the Donkey Kong Country uh, Donkey Kong Cartoon not co- Donkey Kong Country that's a completely different show anyway but yeah so he was like the third voice of Mario and um, he only played Mario in just those two cartoons and then eventually Charles Martinet became like the definitive voice of Mario in all the video games as for whether they cast him in the movie it's not sure but yeah I think I remember that um, a lot of people really remember um, you know Walker Boone's portrayal of Mario especially with like the Super Mario World cartoon especially the whole Mama Luigi thing but yeah um, very sad that he passed away and uh, you know he was not only known for Mario but he was also um, Commander Lynch in Star Trek The Next Generation and he was also in other um, TV shows and movies. You know, he was in War of the Worlds. He was in Due South. But yeah, I think a lot of people know him for his uh, portrayal as Mario in those Toad cartoons.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, like he was actually a good, a good part of our childhood because you know we watched those uh, Mario cartoons. So yes. like, yeah, we did. And uh, okay, they don't hold up very well now. They definitely no. don't. But uh, I mean, like uh, they, we still watch them. You know, like uh, it's, just, yeah. it's just so yeah. It's just uh, I, I, it's such a, it's such a weird death. That we only found out now that uh, when this uh, began, like at the very beginning, we, we should have talked about this. The, the way I feel about it, we, you know, when we found out he he had passed that at least that week, you know, I, I just felt like that should have been part of the episode of a show back in that oh, January. Man. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, I tell you what, it, it does raise your eyes open a little bit, doesn't it? Like, you know, uh, I tell you what, babe, like, you know, uh, I, I don't mean to talk about this now, but like, you know, if I, if I pass away, you know, please let people know, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I just don't want to be left on the couch, <laughs> you know? Jeez. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. Uh, dude, of course, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, again, you know, um, it's so sad that he's gone. And uh, he's it, just the fact that, uh, you know, he's part of the next generation. And also, he was part of War of the Worlds too, and, uh, Ray, you know, Jew South and various other things. you think uh, someone like that would uh, be far more noted right now. But, uh, yeah. Oh, good grief.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, um, yeah. So, uh, I guess, uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, Gels Marinette, you know, Martinette, you know, it's just, it's. Uh, uh very... walker
1: boone charles martinez is not dead yet oh, yeah sorry
0: what, what am i talking about yeah rest in peace rest in peace so uh, walker boone um sadly passed away and uh our, our uh, hearts go out to his family, his friends and his fans so.
1: mm-hmm.
0: oh wow okay uh moving on to our next segment um so the super mario brothers animated movie has finally got its first actor crafted which you well, uh, how long have we been talking about this movie now or not talking we- about it pretty much. Oh, it's it's been almost 3 years. 3 years. Like how much production time do I mean, how much pre-production do they need at this point?
1: I mean, unless Shigeru Miyamoto looks at every single um art design and you know, s- you know looks through the script and he's like, "Nope, do it all over again," then I have no idea. Maybe it's because of the pandemic, but I'm not sure.
0: I'm not surprised. Like, uh, I mean, you, you imagine Miyamoto, he he he's actually he's the co-director of this movie, isn't he? Y- yes, yeah, he is. He's actually yeah. So I wouldn't be too surprised if he's if that's if that's the reason that so they're taking so much time for this. But uh,
1: look, M- Miyamoto didn't want to do a Zelda animated series on Netflix. Miyamoto didn't want to do that stop motion Star Fox cartoon. He is very very particular of uh, having his video games adapted because he does not want the same thing to happen with the '93 live action Mario movie.
0: Yeah. But uh, you know the the casting, as far as we're aware, is not actually of either Mario or Luigi or Ryoshi or Peach or Toad or like. Uh, apparently, this guy who is going to be uh, playing a character, I believe his name is uh, um, something like now. Uh, uh, uh it, Sebastian Mascalisco? Me- 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 yeah, it?
1: his name is uh, yeah, yeah Sebastian Meliscalco and he's going to be Spike from of all things, Wrecking Crew.
0: Wow, so... Um, okay, um, we are going to delve quite a bit into Super Mario Brothers' lore. Who is Spike, and who are the Wrecking Crew?
1: Okay, so Wrecking Crew was a arcade game that came out around the early 80s, and it was eventually ported over to the NES. And it's Mario and Luigi as construction workers, and Spike was a character that um, was like the boss of them. So according to the uh, description of the movie, it says that... Um, Sebastian Maliscalco is going to be playing Spike, where he's going to be Mario and Luigi's boss. So, yeah. And, you know, we saw Spike, and, you know, he drives a bulldozer. So, yeah, this is just like a one-off character from a video game that is based off of an arcade game that not a lot of people even played. I mean, when you think of Mario, you think of Mario Brothers. You think of Donkey Kong. You think of the Super Mario Brothers. You don't think of Wrecking Crew.
0: It makes you wonder, yeah, like I'm you know, really how obscure. many other like uh, you know unknown super Mario, you know, unknown Mario characters are going to start turning up in this movie? If you think about it, like uh, are oh, we yeah. are we not even going to get like some of like the later characters? Like, uh, is it literally going to be like is this movie going to be like telling like uh, retelling like the origin story of of Mario? But you
1: know what? That could be a possibility. I mean, maybe we'll see Pauline. Maybe we'll see, um, you know, just Mario and Luigi and maybe, uh, you know, other like really obscure characters. Maybe they're not even going to go into the whole Mushroom Kingdom story. Maybe they'll just. Um, maybe, I don't know, that's that's actually a really good question. I mean, maybe they're going to combine all the Mario characters. That'd like, be so you know,
0: strange, though. Like, uh, you know, like, what well, you go you, to a Super Mario... I mean, what, who... I don't if you, you and I were doing a Super Mario Brothers movie, what, what car- who which characters do you think we would put in it? Like, you know... I mean,
1: obviously, Mario, Luigi, Toad, Bowser, Yoshi, Princess Peach, Princess uh, Daisy.
0: Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, Pauline would, like, be very down the list. I mean, she'd be a cameo at best.
1: Well, I mean, a lot of people have really gravitated to Pauline, especially with Super Mario Odyssey. I guess.
0: But, uh, you know, like, uh, it just feels so strange that... uh... You know, you would go. You, 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 you your main characters. Where you'd think, the, and also as well, like the guy that we're talking about now is uh, not even like one of the main characters. He's just a he, uh, From what I can gather, he, I don't know if he's going to be one of the main characters in the movie. But uh, if they are going to go to an origin story, he probably might be. But uh, you know, it's it's just such a strange announcement to make that uh, you know your very first character you're going to be bringing in. And uh, he's a, a character we've not seen for a long time for, uh, uh, I mean, this actor, what, what else has he done uh, besides?
1: I don't, I don't let me know, actually, because I just pulled up the announcement. I mean, I haven't really- No disrespect to
0: Sebastian. Him. I'm sure we're going to find out soon that he's actually done something really spectacular. <laughs> you know, yeah. S.O.D.S. Law. But uh, let me just- Yeah, uh...
1: I'm, kind of, I'm kind of like my mom in which, like, I don't know names very well, but when I see a face, I'm like, Oh, yeah, it's that guy. So, I'm looking it up right now. Apparently, he's a very well-known stand-up comedian. So, okay. I I haven't seen any of his stand-up, so um, I'm sure. Yeah, I I don't know how funny he is, but I'm sure that he's, um, you know, will probably put some comedic chops into this character, whatever he does.
0: Okay, apparently, according to this, uh, one of his movies is The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature.
1: Oh, jeez. Oh,
0: boy. And also, one of his things is an Untitled Mario film. At the moment, and uh, I mean,
1: he, yeah, um. he
0: was in The Irishman, uh, Green Book, he was also in as well, uh, Tag, Cruise, and also The House. Okay, uh, yeah, so he's he, he's he's done movies, but I think this is his first voice. I mean, obviously, another job too is like his debuting voice actor gig, which is not a great gig to get. Like, I should, 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 should have, uh, I should have done uh, some, some due diligence on that one, if you ask me, but uh, mm. you know, I think, uh, well. Anyway, apparently uh, they've uh, decided to put him in the Mario movie, so here we are. So. Yeah,
1: uh, no word on Mario and Luigi yet. And no word on any of the other characters. Mind but we'll you, let you I'm,
0: know I'm, we... I really like. Uh, I re- if you if Yoshi is in this movie, I really hope he's not voiced by John Cena. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I uh, you remember that, remember that movie we were talking about before that so uh, that went around. Yeah, like, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping they stay away. Well, well, well away from that, but. Uh, Anyway, any more news, we'll let you know. So, mm-hmm. okay. Right, uh, CBS is going to sue the Rusty Crab restaurant, claiming that it's a ripoff of SpongeBob. Um, you found this. Like, uh, this This seems so strange. I mean, like, uh, what would problem to do with this?
1: I have... I don't have a clue. So, uh, this restaurant is located in Texas, and according to TMZ, yes... Um, The Spongebob, uh, you know, this apparent Spongebob restaurant was, um, you know, they they claimed that it was inspired by Spongebob. And you can definitely, you know, take a look into like, um, you know, various pictures of the the restaurant. And and it even has a disclaimer where it says, We are not affiliated or associated, authorized, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with Nickelodeon or the Spongebob brand directly or any of, of its subsidiaries or affiliates. So they said that they are um, trying to create this restaurant because it is an amazing series that added value to your childhood. Enjoy the storytelling from our eyes in the most fun way. And yeah, when you take a look at the restaurant, I mean, it is like spot on, you know, just it, the entire recreation of just SpongeBob's house, which is interesting because, you um, you know, like they they mentioned before, they're not associated or affiliated with Nickelodeon, Viacom, or with
0: SpongeBob.
1: So yeah, Viacom they're, they're, is suing they, they the have, hell out of it.
0: Yeah, that. maybe they should have taken the K out of Crab. Maybe, maybe like a, maybe just call it the Rusty Crab, and therefore like you it, know. It, it,
1: yeah, babe, it, it is called the Rusty Crab.
0: Well, but no, no. According to this, it's the, it's the 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 name of the restaurant. It still has a K in the crab in it.
1: Oh, oh, okay. So instead yeah, crab of the, is, r- crab is
0: spelled C R A B. Oh. Not okay, so
1: maybe okay, okay, okay. So, th- okay, so put a C in it instead, and yeah. then it'll still be okay.
0: Okay, uh, sure. Yeah, I maybe mean, maybe that's probably what they should have done. But uh, mind you, I think uh, the obvious looking, you know, uh, s- SpongeBob peering over the, uh, the, the 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 fence and uh, the elaborate stuff. Yeah, it probably wouldn't have saved them. I don't think. But
1: uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is probably like something that. Um, you know, an outsourced country would do. I talked about this many years ago when I talked about, like, the top five Nickelodeon theme res- uh, restaurants that should be open to the public, where it was announced that there was a Krusty Krab that was opening to the public, but it was in Palestine. And then I researched, and it turned out it's not an- associated with Nickelodeon either. So, I mean, I can understand because it's Palestine, and it's probably, like, way too far away from Nickelodeon or Viacom, but this is in Texas.
0: Yeah, but, so, I mean... Um I can, in a way, I can kind of understand why they did because last week we talked about them opening up a hotel. So like yes. uh, they're obviously interested in properties that uh, they want to open up and uh, they want to have it on their own style and they want uh, their uh, you know intellectual property all to themselves in regards to like you know re- you know real te- real estate and things like that. So I can understand why they went that, that direction with it. but the other day like uh, I look at this place like uh, I'd actually want to go here.
1: I want to go here too, actually. This is kind of like the time in which when uh, Good Burger was open for a short while in Los Angeles and even Kel Mitchell himself was dressed up as Ed giving away these burgers. And it's like, oh, I wish I would have gone to that event. And this one looks like fun. I mean, it looks like a great place for Spongebob fans to just, you know, take pictures of it, have their own, you know, interpretation of what their Krabby Patties are. Like, this looks awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I can understand why, you know, Viacom have done what they've done. So, like, uh, yeah. So, I guess... uh either they're gonna have to tear it all down and turn it into something else or which will be a shame but uh you know like either yeah, this, get...
1: this reminds me of the time in which when there was uh you, you know that story in japan where um there was a karting company that uh yeah, decided to create I, I, the whole mario kart stuff and nintendo sued them
0: i remember about that uh, didn't uh i mean how safe is that because like they race around karts on streets on the streets don't they uh, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I don't know how Japan works around this kind of thing, but they were able to work around it where they were able to just, you know, remove the whole Mario Kart thing insp- inspiration. And then they're like, oh, but if you want to dress up as the Mario characters, that's perfectly fine. So they were able to make a loophole around it and they no longer called it Mario Kart you know, like, go-karts or something like that, whatever they called it. But, yeah, they were able to work a a loop around that. But as for this, I have no idea how they would be able to work around it. I mean, I'm sure they can be able to just, like, restructure the whole thing, you know, know, not make it too Spongebob-esque, but kind of, like, keep the spirit of Spongebob. Maybe that could work, but... Yeah, if they want to not be sued by Viacom, or maybe Viacom would let them have a break and maybe this'll make them inspired to open up other Nickelodeon themed restaurants, huh? Mm, huh? Uh, you know, think I, about I that.
0: Doubt it. Keep this in mind, babe. This is this is Viacom and this is Nickelodeon. They don't always make the best decisions. Yeah, um, very true. Yeah. Okay. So that's that. Um, moving on, uh, Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios are going to start produ- producing anime, and it's under the direction of uh, Jason uh, DiMarco. Uh, you ought to forgive me; I'm not overly familiar familiar with Jason's work. So, uh, what is uh- okay? So
1: he okay? So Jason DiMarco. Uh, for those who don't know, he has been working for Adult Swim for the past few years, and he has been working for this division for decades. And now that he's currently the president of Adult Swim, he wants to be able to open up this division where they will start producing anime that is more featured for like an older audience. He is currently the creative executive for the Lord of the Rings animated movie that we talked about a while ago. But he says that uh, because of him experiencing with, um, you know, Adult Swim and also he was the co-creator of the Toonami block, by the way. And he still continues to work on it to this day. And now he wants to be able to um, open, you know, create their own anime that is outside of Japan and, you know, bring it in for this, um, you
0: know, new audience. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, I didn't realize that Jason DeMarco was actually the president of uh, Adult Swim. I, I don't keep up with the politics of all, you know, divisions and everything like that. So, I mean, that's that's, a surprise, that's always a surprise to me. Yeah, but... well, well,
1: currently I mean, he used to be. Um, Michael Olin is the president of Adult Swim. He's oh, right. The co- he's the co-creator of Toonami, and mm-hmm. he works really closely with a lot of those people. But, yeah, the fact that he's going to be, you know, doing his own you know um you know producing anime under you know Warner Brothers Animation and Cartoon Network Studios this is a huge thing because Uh, One of the reasons why Infinity Train was canceled was because Warner Brothers and Cartoon Network were so concerned that it was not leaning towards a younger audience anymore. They just felt that it was getting way too dark and it was getting way too serious for what they consider cartoons to be. And it's like, no, kids can be able to watch this stuff and be able to appreciate it. So they want to be able to lean more not only towards an older audience, but they want to be able to just, you know, have the sense of freedom that, oh, you know, uh, cartoons are not just strictly as a kid's thing. It's like... You know, it's a gray area. You either have to be, like, really, really juvenile for kids, or you have to be, like, really gross and edgy for adults. I mean, for, you know, shows like Infinity Train and The Owl House that are, like, definitely leaning more towards the middle, they're the ones that are struggling the most. Because, you know, in in our nation and on our culture, people don't take cartoons seriously. So, they're hoping...
0: Well, I think that's changing. I really do like. I mean, like, uh, look at the Owl House, for example, and like, uh, look at yes. uh, some, look at the other shows that we currently got at the minute. Like, uh, you know, they're, they're starting to. I think they are starting to get some universal appeal. Not as much as uh, I think some people would like them to be, but uh, I think we are. I think. I think. Give it a. Give it a good couple of years. I mean, like, uh, I'd be interested to see where we are in ten years' time. I really would. Yeah. You know, like uh, seeing uh, that. You know, if animation is now not just uh, you know going out towards uh, children, but they're also going out towards adults alike. I mean, like uh, it's. Uh, uh, I I think I think that I think that the tide is changing. I think on this, and I think sooner or later, I think you know uh, we'll have a, a lot of adults walking around, you know, looking at cartoon shows rather than like you know the live action shows. I think at some point. Yeah,
1: I, I hope that this will definitely get. I mean, yes, I, I do agree that, um, you know, the the mindset of what people consider to be like, oh, cartoons are this thing are definitely changing, but there's still an audience out there that still doesn't take it seriously. No, but I, I'm hoping I, that. I think
0: will... I think that's going to change think or something i hope so i think it will so um but uh, in regards to uh, anime i mean like uh, one thing i think they're gonna have to do and uh, this is you know the problem with anime is is that it's uh, i mean it's so um there is such a massive you know the world at the moment like you know you look at crunchy you get a Crunchyroll account like yeah i was asking vegan for tips so, like you know where should i start You know, if I ever do get a country roll account or if I ever do, you know, get something. And so she was giving me, like, uh, you know, all tips. And, like, you know, you remember that episode where, uh, you know, she was uh, saying, oh, if you like this and if you like that, you might get into, uh, you know, these types of anime. And so, um, you know, eventually, you know, uh, I will, you know, uh, venture into that world at some point. But the thing is that this world is so vast. I mean, like, uh, will Jason be able to create something that will stand out on Adult Swim? And also, Adult Swim in itself would need to give it some kind of uniqueness compared to, like, what other, you know, um, anime companies are doing at the moment. You know, so, like, uh, I'd be very intrigued to see what they can do with it. I mean, like, uh, one thing I would say is that, I mean, look at Primal, for example. Like, you know, that's a that's a pretty unique, you know, style. It also goes on the style of Samurai Jack, because obviously it's created by the same guy. But, uh, I mean, that for me would be the direction that at least I would go in 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 regards to like you know creating unique shows so whether they can adapt an anime out of that type of style I think that's something they probably should look into because I think it would I think a lot of people would uh, take to it I think uh, very well if they did that so mm-hmm. uh, yeah but uh, yeah let's see where this goes you know absolutely so cool right um we talked i think a few was it a few weeks ago or was it last week about it was uh, last the, week it was actually last week about the fate of casa bonita and we were wondering is matt uh, trey parker and Matt Stone actually serious about purchasing this restaurant well the paper's been signed it's done uh, matt, trey parker and matt stone of south park fame officially own casa bonita yes what, and what a m- weird what, what a weird acquisition <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It is weird. But, you know, they really wanted to save the restaurant because, you know, if, for them growing up in Colorado, Casa Bonita was like a major staple in, you know, their childhoods. And so they were actually interviewed by um a reporter, I think, who's from Colorado, and talking about, like, you know, everybody who um grew up with Casa Bonita has fond memories of it. And we were all sad when it was shutting down. But, you know, here comes Train Mad. And especially with, you know, them going to be having, you know, more seasons of South Park and they having this huge amount of money to produce it I mean I don't know if you've seen the amount of money they're being paid you know to produce more seasons but they're not going away anytime soon I mean they're they're, they're even saying oh yeah we're gonna be sticking around until at least maybe like 2029 I'm like oh jeez I mean it's gonna be lasting for
0: that long but oh well, I mean nonetheless- can, you, can you can you blame them they're, they're the creators of South Park I mean like uh, yeah. it's probably I mean dare I say probably South Park is probably gonna be the one show that can probably literally go on forever because life just doesn't stop I mean, like, That's I think, clear. I think, I think, a meteor, I think, would have to crash into the earth for them to, and even then, even if, like, you know, like a, a massive, like, nuclear apocalypse, or like some kind of, like, m- you know, uh, media hit the hit the hit the earth, and like all life itself was just extinguished, I guarantee you, there'd be a South Park episode about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. like, I wouldn't just, be surprised. It, it won't stop it just won't stop so as long as there's I mean, on top of that as well like you know we have got trump coming back in 2028 so you know if, uh, president uh, you know uh, uh what's what's his face um garrison's probably gonna end up coming back so uh, eh. you know like uh, you know it's just it's uh, as long as there's like s- stuff in life to make fun of in regards to uh you know, uh, you know, politics, whether it's, you know, news stories or whether it's, uh, stuff just going on in life that's just, uh, you know, uh, that requires commentary. You know, uh, there's gonna be four kids who are gonna be in in the turmoil of all of this and uh, is gonna produce a good episode out of it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's very true, but the fact that they were able to say, yeah, we're gonna own this restaurant... I mean that's incredible i mean it's it, i mean it was just like featured in that one episode of south park from over 20 years ago and people still remember it to this day it's like you have you know you have really? Cartman, that, that, and now that he's been he's
0: going, going was, and he's, cre- that it was 20 years ago what
1: i is? think so yeah that, i think that was like 2003 i think so that was wow. a long time well, ago.
0: I mean, let me let me let me just check this out because that's uh that uh okay that's it's i know it's uh, season seven episode 11. Um, what episode is it? Oh, yeah. Original Air Take, no, November 12, 2003. So, yep. yeah, it's it's nearly 20 years old.
1: Oh, my God. We feel old.
0: Yeah, but here's the thing about this. And If you remember in the documentary, they said that they have to keep an eye on the TV listings because every time that episode airs, they get people coming through the doors. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I mean, obviously, the COVID pandemic's taken a massive hit on it. I think. I mean, this is the thing. Casablanca is not a. And I think we've talked about this last week as well. Casablanca is not a lone voice in all of this. There's loads of restaurants that have like suffered under the under the pandemic because yes. and are still suffering now because uh, if you're looking like uh, a lot of uh, workers right now don't want to work for low wage and tips. You know, so nope. like uh, at the moment, like uh, they just they're either staying home or like in looking after fa- you know look, being with family or they're getting jobs elsewhere. You know, like, uh, the pandemic has basically, you know, torn up the, you know, restauranting industry at the point where, you know, like, it it can't be where, you know, um, students now aren't getting part-time jobs and uh, people aren't wanting to, you know, they've had to restructure their whole lives. Like, uh, I guarantee, yeah, I can't imagine, like, a lot of people who are uh, doing... And we're flipping burgers at one point, or like, you know, doing like, uh, you know, waitressing, or waitressing jobs, things like that. They're probably driving Ubers, or they're probably doing like the old Uber Eats thing. You know, like, or they're doing the gig economy, because they find it that they've got more money and they've got more flexibility over their time. Yeah, you know, so like uh, that. I guarantee that's probably where most of them have gone. They've gone into, new, into the uh, the the newer economies that have appeared, and uh, they're not having to like, put their lives on the line because you know where uh, they haven't. You know, all they got to defend themselves is wearing a mask. You know, compared to some asshole who's at the t- table who's uh, refusing to tip and not wearing a mask and things like that. So you can see why they're not coming back. In that regard, but um, you know, if we're going back to Castle Benito, I mean, uh, whether that's been their problem, I'm not entirely sure. But I mean, like, uh, well, shout out to uh, to Trey Parker and Matt Stone for uh, you know rescuing them out of this situation. And uh, one thing i be interested to see is with, um, with 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 this restaurant. I mean, like, are they going to be you know tailoring it now to like the South Park brand? That's like actually that. a
1: really good question. I was just about to get to that because now that Trey Parker and Matt Stone own it, are they going to be like heavily involved with how the restaurant is going to be run? Or are they just going to keep it the same way it's always been? That's a good question.
0: Well, keep in mind, they're now the owners of this place, so they're going to want to protect their investment. So I could probably imagine they're going to want to have a say in what's how, what the future of it is. You know, so uh, they're going to uh, they're also they're gonna have to put, like, uh, you know, the, the, the PA into overdrive, you know, whether they're just going to, like, tell the networks just to wear reruns of the episode. I'm not too sure. Uh, that's actually quite interesting. Like, uh, now that they own this restaurant, how many reruns of this episode are we now going to get in the foreseeable future? A lot, a lot. I probably imagine. and uh, So, um, yeah, I, I, I could see Matt Stone and Trey Parker saying, okay, we now own this place now. They call up all the networks and say, please, if you're going to air reruns of South Park, please air this particular episode.
1: Or they're gonna have maybe more episodes dedicated to Casa Bonita. Um,
0: that's a possibility too. <clears throat> so,
1: or, or maybe they'll even feature it in the video game because we already know about, um, you know, South Park: The Stick of Truth and South Park: uh, The Fractured Butthole. So I think that I think even like in the games they feature feature Bonita, but maybe they'll definitely like take advantage of it. You know,
0: or maybe a Casa, maybe we might even get like a Casa Bonita, you know, themed game. Maybe.
1: Ooh, like, cooking, Mama. But oh, with South cooking, Park.
0: Mama yourself, South Park. There, there you go. There's your promotion. Yeah. Uh,
1: Matt and Matt and Trey, if you're listening to this, uh, I would like about ten percent of the um of the money if you do make it into a game. Uh, and you're welcome.
0: And I won twenty-five. <laughs> Jeez, okay. <laughs> hey, well, I like, uh, 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 Jim Henson got forty percent out of his share out of like the Muppet show. So. Okay, like, that's very true. <laughs> okay. Right, moving on. Um, Fred Ladd, we're going to pay tribute to him. He's uh, He helps introduce anime to the US. He has uh, sadly died at the age of 94 years old. Uh, Patricia, do you want to give us the lowdown?
1: Okay, so Fred Ladd was working for NBC Enterprises... Uh He, uh, one of the first things that he did was that he was in charge of re-editing and dubbing European animation, starting off with the really trippy and surreal Pinocchio in outer space in 1965, but um, he was actually one of the people who, while working at NBC Enterprises, acquired the rights to a little show, I don't know if you've heard about this, called Astro Boy, and he helped re-edit and dub the episodes in American, and... He was the one that brought this incredibly groundbreaking anime over to Americans. And, I mean, Astro Boy, I don't know, how how big is Astro Boy in the UK? Um,
0: we know of Astro Boy, of course we do. Like, uh, he's, okay. a, he's one of the originators of anime, isn't he?
1: Yes, so. he is. And um, here in America, it's very similar. We know of Astro Boy, we've seen the cartoons. I mean, a lot of people know about the 2000s animated series from Cartoon Network, as well as the movie, but... I mean, in Japan, Astro Boy is huge, like massively huge. He is the Mickey Mouse of Japan. He is that massive. So we're talking about that kind of levels of influential. I mean, Osamu Takuza is known as the godfather of manga. Because he not only created Astro Boy, but he was also the one who did Kimba the White Lion and various other anime that would also spin off into its own uh, bit of influences. But I digress. But yes, um, <laughs> Fred Ladd also um, you know, talked about in his autobiography on getting um, Astro Boy into America. And he even talked about... Um, you know, using the music to liven up the animation, which he felt at the time was very, very limited. And he even said this on his uh, autobiography, and I quote, Coming from a radio background, I knew we could sweeten the soundtracks to make viewers think they were seeing more than they actually were. For instance, we added traffic sounds. Uh, to visualize static um, street scenes to bring them to life. Similarly, we might add the sound of a dog barking or the lonely howl of a faraway train to a night scene. And where feasible, we added off screen dialogue, usually grunts and other sounds, to fill the voids in otherwise still shots. All these touches help add a sense of life, briskness, energy, and drive to the action. Now, for a lot of people, they think it's really important because it, you know, builds up the atmosphere and is able to give um, visual as well as. Uh, hearing um, ambiance into it. Some people would find it to be kind of annoying. It's like, oh, just let the quiet moments, uh, you know, let them appreciate it. But no, it's not like that. If you watch the original Astro Boy, it was pretty much barren. But you have to understand, you know, even cartoons back then, they had limited budget, so they were able to work around with what they had. But... Anyway, but yes, he was able to like bring a lot of uh, nuances into it to make it more appealing to a bigger audience. And then afterwards, he uh, produced local versions of Gigantor, Kimba the White Lion, and also... Um, <laughs> he was one of the, um, the people, when Lion King came out, he was one of the people who angrily pointed out the films more than passing resemblance to Kimba. So if you ever wonder about, like, oh, you know, Kimba the White Lion was a complete, uh, you know... Um, you know like Kimber the White Lion was like the originator of what the Lion King is it's like if you're wondering where the the argument came from it was Fred
0: But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know like uh, yeah. in defense of uh, you know putting sound in the quiet moments I mean like uh, I think that was a smart thing to do because that's what Americans uh, or at least even the western world were expecting because if you even, even in the Flintstones which is like the first animated show that uh, Americans were introduced to even those uh, particular scenes had like background noises and like uh, you know, say for example, you had Fred Flintstone working at his construction yard job, and like uh, working in the in, in the uh, in the in in the in, in, in the uh, in the quarry. Like uh, you hear the quarry working. In, in, in that show and uh, you know obviously you can hear like the old dinosaur saying it's a living and you know, obviously you had that too yep. but you know like uh, um, that was people's perception of like not just animation but kind of like you know life in general in regards to shows because uh, even then you like uh, you know in the classic shows you had stuff going on in the background and you were introduced like one, one of the establishing things that you do with like some of the shows like back in the day was like oh hey here's this casino here's all these people gambling here's like all these machines like all making all these noises jackpot you know like that, that whole th- that whole thing so you know where one of the things that american audience i don't know what it's like you know tv shows are like you know i know like there's like massive soap operas in like uh, asia and things like that I, I don't know what they're like you know back in the day but in at least in western tv shows and tv production you had establishing shots of like you know you said an atmosphere in, uh, in in that in like some of the sitcoms and some of like the the older shows even happy days did it you know like uh, they, yes. they established what, what where it was so I don't think anime I think he wanted to succeed uh, in front of a western audience. I don't think he had a choice. I think uh, this is what American and even western audiences were idea of what TV was and they just had to go with it.
1: So. Yeah. And 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 another major thing that Fred Ladd was able to contribute to the world of anime for Americans was he was a consultant on the Deek dub of Sailor Moon. I know a lot of people made the argument that the deke dub is terrible and objectively It is. It's really, really bad. But it was important because Sailor Moon, I mean, for a lot of people, including myself, it was like one of our first introductions into the world of anime. And then um, as time went on, he did other things. He helped colorize the black-and-white Looney Tunes and Betty Boop cartoons. And he also wrote for various cartoons, such as Marvel's Incredible Hulk and Filmation's Ghostbusters. Not to be confused with the real Ghostbusters. We're talking about Filmation's Ghostbusters. But, yeah, he did a lot for animation. And the fact that, you know, he sadly passed away, I mean, he left behind a huge legacy.
0: Yeah, like, a, a lot of what we would see in animation today probably wouldn't have been possible without, uh, you know, Fred being involved. So, like, he, he he's a massive cornerstone stone in uh, what animation is today so like uh, and uh so yeah we uh, we pay tribute to him and uh you know uh, once again our thoughts and prayers go out to his friends his family and his fans
1: so. absolutely
0: mm-hmm Okay, I know that I'm uh, slowly losing her voice. So uh, we'll uh, we'll try and get through the next uh, couple of things pretty quickly. So uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Chloe Bennett is uh, leaving the live-action Powerpuff Girls series. I mean, like uh, this this thing hasn't even left the table yet, and here we are nope. talking about her leaving the show. I mean, like. Uh... <sighs> Just, I mean, is what's the point of this show now? Like, nobody asked for it, and uh, now they weren't even happy with the first rendition, and now one of the main actors, actresses has left. I mean, why are we still going on with this?
1: I have no idea, to be quite honest. I mean, if you saw the leaked scripts online where they were trying to be, like, really edgy, and then they were like, ooh, nobody likes it, now we need to do the whole thing over from scratch. And it's like, I guess Chloe was like, man you know i i i don't want to be a part of this anymore it's like i don't i don't mean you know even a lot of people were kind of skeptical about a live action powerpuff girls series where the the girls are teenagers and they're going through like um you know daddy issues and they're going through all this kind of stuff it's like Okay, uh, I know that what you're trying to do. You're trying to bring it edgy because, oh, you know, this cartoon for kids and nobody's gonna take it seriously or whatever. It's like, come on, man, give me a break.
0: But, but it, ma- it makes no sense because, like, you're uh, going in those directions. I mean, the original premise of the Powerpuff Girls is that not only were like they were they their own superheroes, but uh, you know, they were they they were like you know trying to you know f- uh, fight you know evil before bedtime and uh, like uh, they were going through the concept of, like being in this preschool and then. Having to like come out of that and then go and try and save the world, and it's just it's. uh um, But also on top of that, you had like him having like parodies of other shows and then kind of like making fun of superhero tropes and things like that, and like also questioning certain superhero like uh, you know questions, as well, like why is there not enough women superheroes in in that? And there was a whole episode about that. And uh, also, there was, uh, you know, just, uh, just you know, why, why is it that we, you know, uh, don't like do like have our own different identities? Like the Justice League, you know, they did that whole thing where, like, you know, uh you uh, Blossom like got like a car and like, uh, you know, uh, you know, they then there was like the other one is like a bunny suit and the like, uh, what is it? Uh, Buttercup said that she only wants to go out at night, and then they had that whole, you know, the, those tropes and things like that made fun of those. You know, like, you know, like uh, the the one thing that made Powerpuff Girls unique is that while it was was, like in the superhero like comedic genre it wasn't afraid to like point out to like the whole superhero you know world like why is it that you guys do these things you know like uh wouldn't it make me more sense to kind of like, do them the way that we would do them like follow common sense you know i don't know like it's just like uh, that's that's where powerpuff girls was why you drag it out of that direction and like and here's the thing about this like um yeah, a live action is kind of weird, but if you kept the spirit of the show, maybe you could probably get away with it. I don't know. Like, uh, I just feel like the directions that they have taken with this, they they just need to stop. Maybe you uh, like uh, put it put put it in the uh, in, in on the cutting room floor. Leave it around for a good couple of years. Maybe rejig it. Maybe for like you know with with different people, and then have another go at it. Maybe if you're going to insist on having to do a live action Powerpuff Girls somewhere down the line. But this rendition, pff, no stop no yeah i don't want this no me neither either. so let's stop talking about it so uh anyway finally uh craig mccracken's uh, kids cosmic has been renewed for two or three seasons at netflix uh, i know you're slowly starting to lose your voice but uh, i'm not familiar with kids cosmic so uh, you'll have to take it you'll have to take on this one unfortunately
1: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So Kid Cosmic follows the adventures of an imaginative and enthusiastic boy who lives with his free-spirited grandpa in a sparsely populated desert uh, desert town. So um, the kid's dreams becoming a hero come true when he discovers five cosmic stones of power in a wrecked spaceship. He forms a team of local superheroes to stop an onslaught of alien attacks to steal back the stones. So, yeah, uh, alongside with his grandpa, his uh, his friends, and even their cat, which their cat is named Tuna Sandwich, yes, And yeah. Anyway, but yes, uh, Kid Cosmic is a show that's created by Craig McCracken, uh, you know, funny enough, creator of the Powerpuff Girls, and also Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends and Wander Over Yonder. And uh, from what I've heard, I've heard a lot of people praising this show. They said it's a lot of fun, it's colorful, and it has the Craig McCracken charm and style, which, you know, I can definitely see it from when I first saw the trailer. I haven't seen it either, but I am planning on to at some point, but... Uh, yeah, the fact that it's going to be picked up for its second season, and according to the synopsis, it says, In Season 2, Kid Cosmic learns what it means to be a true hero- uh, true leader as the local heroes embark on a space adventure to find the remaining stones of power and save the galaxy. So, uh, Season 2 will be premiering on September 1st. And uh, season three has officially been picked up. So, yeah, it's very similar to Animaniacs in which I guess, you know, they had so much confidence in Craig McCracken's work that, hey, you know, uh, people are loving it. People are viewing it. Uh, you know, it's trending online. Let's give you an additional season. So, yeah, I mean, we've talked about how Craig McCracken felt like he was gypped when he created Wander Over Yonder because, um, you know, they cut his seasons the way that, you um, You know, he couldn't tell the story that he wanted to, and so he was, like, fed up with working for television, and he decided to go over to streaming sites where he felt like he could be able to uh, utilize his creative freedom the most. And, well, it's turning out great for him.
0: Well, you know, i tell you what, though, like, 8 out of 10 right now on uh, IMDb. Like, uh, Mm. I'm I'm really surprised, like, I've got to be honest with you, this is the first time I've heard about this. Really? They're like, Yeah, like, uh, I'm really surprised that people haven't been bringing it to my attention. Oh, hey, you, you, like, uh, you know, we talk about all the other cartoon shows. Like, I'm really surprised I haven't got, like, a tweet saying, yo, go watch Kid Cosmic. It's like, you know, like, uh, uh, this. you know, the the amount of, like, things that are coming out on Netflix now, like, it's justified me trying to get a Netflix account again. You know, yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, uh, wow. you know,
1: there's Bojack, BoJack Horseman. F is for Family. Hilda. You know, there's a uh, Carmen Sandiego. Yeah, yeah I'm of, so uh, annoyed.
0: Like, I really do want to watch BoJack Horseman, and I really do want to watch. Uh, you know, sit down properly, watch Carmen Sandiego. I've only seen like one or two episodes at the moment. Like, uh, I've never like probably like, watched and sat down with it, which is annoying. So, like yeah. Uh, yeah, I will have to get that. Get to that eventually. This sounds really good, actually. From work, yeah. Wow. Okay. All right, people, um, we are going to go into our spoiler section of the show. So if you don't want to be on anything, we will see you next week. Take care and bye-bye for now. Uh, we're going to give uh, Patricia, I think, a bit of time to actually go get a glass of water or something like that to kind of clear up. I, so. I, I have
1: my bottle with me. So. Uh, you have your bottle yeah. with me.
0: Okay, then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll continue on. So anyway, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. And uh, yeah, so uh, and if you haven't watched uh, uh, our how Season 2, Episode 10, Yesterday's Lie, and Monsters of Work, Episode 7, then please tune out now. So, uh, yes okay cool All Right. goodbye everybody bye okay going once going twice going a third time and we're officially in spoiler territory um patricia i know you've kind of like put it like we want to talk about monsters at works episode 7 first and put owl house season 2 episode 10 like very end of the show i really want to get owl house out of the way i'm really sorry Okay. Was, okay uh, do you mind if we swap the two around if that's okay. Okay,
1: with you. L- l- okay. Because that this is the mid season finale, we will make the exception. But before we do that, we have two announcements. Uh, number one, we want to give a major congratulations to Sarah Nicole Robles, aka the voice of uh, Luz Nozeda from the Owl House. Uh, she recently got married.
0: Oh, I completely forgot about that. Oh, well, yeah, congratulations to her, and I know if you and her husband now. And uh, by the way, their wedding photos are beautiful. Oh, they I, are. Yeah. So uh, I think a certain person here on this podcast is getting ideas, I think, so.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> okay, first. And uh,
1: f- final, final announcement. So as we mentioned last week, Rebecca Rose was going to be doing a huge Twitter trend called hashtag more the owl house, where um, if you were able to, you know, uh, do the hashtag, then you were going to be having a chance to win a certain prize, depending on how huge that the uh, trend went. And well... Things got a little bit complicated because around the same time that the episode aired, an earthquake in Haiti happened where it was a 7.2 earthquake killing off over 300 people. And so due to the fact that Rebecca Rose felt really guilty of that trending over the Haiti earthquake, which she felt it was more important, which it is, by the way. She decided that um, you know if they were going to reach over to number two, then she'll give away the the top prize, which was the ten posters. From what she posted, uh, from what she posted on Twitter, she said that um, the last time that she checked, when the trend was still going on, it was in third place, and so she's going to be messaging everybody, um, you know, the five people who. Um, you know, you know, who's going to be having a chance to win the prize. And I think that the that the trend on number three, I think it was the king plush. So if you're one of the people who ha- uh, who did the hashtag uh, more the owl house, then be on the lookout for Rebecca Rose's message if you would be the one to win a king plush. So if you do, then, um, you know, adv- in advance, congratulations.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, by the way, uh, if you, uh, the Haiti situation is still ongoing, so please donate to charity if you can. So, absolutely well, yeah, really please crazy, do but, yeah. so yeah and so uh so i believe uh so even more, I believe, more house i think got to number three i believe yes uh, yeah so we got a number three and also we got to number 14 in uh, in the uk so oh like, cool uh, that's that's how loud this got people like you know it, it's, yeah. it's it was trending worldwide i think at one point so, yeah
1: I, I think i i think a few people from brazil and a few people from mexico were just saying about how huge the the trend was going on so yeah it went all over
0: yeah you hear that disney like you know, we're so we're not going away. We're still here. So uh, unlike uh, you know our house, just for the next couple of next couple of months. So uh, yeah. Anyway, um, let's move on to the our house season two episode ten. Yesterday's lie. Uh, you know, um, th- this episode went very quickly for us. Yeah. It really did. Like uh, they packed so much into this, and uh, so let's go as slowly as we can through this. So. Um, we are the establishing shot that we get at the very beginning of this is obviously, um, um, her uh, loses mom Camila. And uh, also, we get the the doppelganger loose uh, also in this as well, and she's throwing out all the stuff and saying, "I want to, I want a new thing." So uh, immediately, she basically goes for like you know, boo hiss, you know, uh, getting not not really getting the uh, the audience on her side. Pretty much this uh, doppelganger loose, which we you know, we we kind of established already. But uh, then, how um, I mean, I mean, should we deal with this? Should we do like in this chronologically, or should we do this character by character?
1: Uh, um, l- l- well, I think that um, we kind of should do a combination of both because there is a lot to unpack. So okay. first, let's do it chronologically.
0: Right. So, um, in regards to the um, the character, so we are introduced to Luz's doppelganger, who uh, is uh, existing in you know this world and uh, we find out that apparently she's not as evil as we were led out to believe and apparently she uh, apparently is uh known now as v but was known as number five and apparently was some kind of science experiment from uh, the from the empress coven well actually we she about.
1: was a basilisk, a basilisk. Uh, so yeah i mean it's a very interesting take on a basilisk for, so for those who don't know a basilisk is kind of like a snake that is able to um, you know, kill off people by petrifying them. and It's kind of like in Harry Potter, almost. But this interpretation of a basilisk is that, oh, she's a shapeshifter. And she was actually captured by Emperor Bellos because basilisks can be able to absorb magic. So we learned about this in a season one episode called The First Day, where it was Lucy's first day at Hexide. And she met up with all the other characters who didn't have um, a sense of, okay, I want to go into this particular coven. And so so she learned about the basilisk where they were able to absorb magic and she was captured by emperor bellos because you know she was going to be used for this particular experiment and well no if, summary- if you remember the,
0: uh, they apparently apparently these uh, these uh, things these uh, curators were extinct and apparently the emperor the empress coven brought them back i think that's yeah, a, yeah. so basically she was captured as a, basically to be an experiment and figure out why you know were uh, i mean if they could basically be some use to them so, but then they yeah, escaped. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, the basilisk can be able to absorb magic, and I think that that's going to be huge with the day of the uh the day of unity, which is why I think that they were experimenting with them in the first place. Yeah, and so I mean, did they still? I her- mean,
0: was it established that they still had some of these? You know, uh, these these basilisks, or did, I mean, from what I gather, I mean, like uh, V was like doing like some kind of secret and nymph thing, getting them all to escape. You know. So.
1: Yeah, that that's exactly what happened. Yeah, she was able to escape from Emperor Bellos, and um, she you know from the very first time that we saw the memory of her meeting up with Luz, and she said okay when i first saw you then i went over to the portal door and i disguised myself as you not knowing that i was going to be meeting up with your mother and i decided to stay with her ever since because i felt a sense of belonging where i never felt that before and it's like wow this happened from the very beginning
0: yeah so uh, yeah i i want to go back to the first episode actually and like yeah, i'm sure i saw that character you know, we're i'm sure we around. did yeah
1: here's the thing it's, it's 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 crazy it's like you know it's kind of like an as told by ginger situation it's like when you first see noelle sussman it's like yeah she was in the background the entire time and nobody noticed her until they brought it up in a season two episode and it's this is a noelle sussman situation i'm sure if we watch the first episode again i'm sure we'll find her somewhere
0: yeah well we've got disney plus so we can check it out But uh, yeah. So, uh, by the way, um, just a quick shout out to that. If uh, you have Disney Plus as well, they're going to be releasing the season two, uh, season season two a episodes on there too. So get watching. So um, Mm -hmm. if if you can do, yeah. But uh, so um. Just also, uh, so we get to that bit, and so, but then we flash, this is actually kind of the first cold open that we get, where it kind of flashes forward, or Then, yes. so then we kind of like, after that, we kind of flash back, so we're back at the Boiling Isles, uh, they finally built the portal door, it's pretty much uh, the same way that kind of Homer b- built his barbecue in that Simpsons episode, and like, uh, <laughs> I only remember that because of the memes, by the way, I barely watch the Simpsons now since uh, the old seasons, but... Uh, um, yeah, um, I look at that and I think, yeah, this is not going to work properly. You can just tell from the very beginning of it. So, uh, they, but, uh, you know, they garries mod it together and uh, <laughs> pretty much uh, Ida powers it up with her, uh, you know, uh, her bath bathtub, that, her mobile bathtub that she has and uh, yeah. then it all combines together and uh, we get this really wonky looking door. So uh, you can easily tell it's not going to you know it's not going to work the same way as that and uh, you know what I still go on the premise of what I you know how I know teleportation technology from half-life which is that uh, it's not just point A to point B you need like an intermediary in the middle to kind of like like a border world like zen to like you know combine everything together in order to make the portals to work so i think what lose ended up falling into when that door was, like, a border world, which is the reflection realm. So, uh, which you can see, like, it has this uh, unique ability to, like, see reflections in, like, different, like, mirrors and things like that. So, which is kind of unique, really, because, you know, like, you can see... Uh, I'm guessing that this can also transcend other dimensions, so any particular, like, you know, reflections you can see people in, pretty much. Yeah, so, it's so
1: like- the only way you can be able to see... Um, the person that you want is by calling their name. So the first time that she tried it out, when she was looking around saying, you know, where's Ida, King, and Hootie? And then this huge 3D sphere came out, and then she became the cube. reflection of the, yeah, the cube. <laughs> uh, this huge cube came out, and then she became the reflection of the window from the Owl House. And so then she decided, oh, that's how it works. And so she's going to call her mom, but it's all the way on top. And so she gets frustrated, and so she starts calming down and counting to five, which then brings up the next cube, which just her just so happens to be the doppelganger loose. And then we find out that her name is Five, or V, as she calls it, which is really clever, by the way, because it's the Roman number five, and it's a V.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, And then when I first heard the voice, I immediately knew who it was. It's Michaela Dietz, a.k.a. Amethyst from, from Steven Facebook Universe.
0: Universe. <laughs> I was about to point that out, actually. So um, the, they have this back and forth. By the way, V runs out the door and, and jumps out the second, the first story window. Which uh, how she didn't break <laughs> something is, uh, is is another thing. But uh, I digress. So uh, she ends up running into the old house, and uh, there's all these traps everywhere. And so she ends yeah. up falling into one of them. And so uh, Luz uh, follows her through to like uh, an, another mirror in the house, which is a portable mirror. And uh, she frees her and is able to t- say, "Oh, hey, well, if uh, you're here, that means my mom doesn't mean that I'm I knows that I'm missing. I'm still in the boiler." I also she decides to help her help V out. So, um, this is interesting, though, because um, V has actually led, like, this is the one thing I was a bit worried about when, when I was, like, seeing all of this, is, like, uh, there's one despised episode of The Simpsons, which is the principal and the pauper, and, like, uh, I really thought, like, we were going to get, like, one of those situations where it's like, you know, oh, this is your life, I was just keeping it warm for you, but no, um, V has actually been uh, appreciative of, like, being in the house with uh, Camilla. She, even, she She even calls her mom. You know, like, uh, out of respect of, like, you know, the fact that she's taking care of her. This is time. she even went to camp. And also, this kind of, like, dispels another one of our, my, my, you know, theories that just seems to kind of, like, keep dying a death. Pretty much. I almost have a graveyard full of these theories now. Like, you know, just like, all just, like, with our own tombstones. Like, uh, it's just, um, so, the camp apparently is not evil. Apparently it was an innocent place where, you know, uh, uh, V actually went to because, um... Camila got the day off, so they spent some time with one another, and uh, they got to, obviously, you know... But obviously, Camila is none the wiser. She still thinks it's Lou's being being uh, being crazy. And then uh, she uh, goes with, to the camp, makes friends there, still has friends in Grave in uh, where, oh, so By the way, we also now know that the place is called Gravesfield. Uh, yes. Basically. So Gravesfield, Connecticut. I don't know if that's a real place or not. We'll have to look it up. But, I don't think it
1: is. It's very similar to, like, Gravity Falls, Oregon. It's like, it's not a real place.
0: Yeah, so... Um, so she makes friends with all these people, and uh, she ends up getting these cards, which uh, obviously has magic in them, and uh, she wants to know where she can get more of them because she needs magic. And uh, but also, we that all of that as well. We learn that Ida apparently has been making a nuisance of herself before the portal door closed because she got herself banned from a cafe in the local area as well. And apparently some people do this- know her.
1: So. I mean it's not too so surprising I mean she's had the portal door for years I mean we even knew that she ran away from home at a very young age so I wouldn't be surprised by using the portal door she's able to like maybe like on and off over the years live in the human realm and you know watch movies in theaters and you know cause a bunch of crazy mayhem so yeah she goes by the name Marilyn when she's in the human world which so is they actually-
0: interesting because uh, apparently uh, the wife that Stan Pines had in Gravity Falls for like six hours apparently was also called Marilyn so they're now deciding to the fans have decided amongst themselves to say that so that's what makes Ida and Gravity Falls sorry Hell House and Gravity Falls basically canon that they would know each other now because apparently Stampines okay. was married to Ida at one point for six hours <laughs> so,
1: okay so apparently at one point Ida went over to Gravity Falls okay so that, that <laughs> might
0: be that might be a good possibility so yeah,
1: You know what? I wouldn't be surprised. And, you know, also like all the other pictures in that um, background, including with Ida, you know, some people say that, you know, the guy with the beard is Steven Sugar, who also is a background artist and his Rebecca Sugar's brother. And some uh, other picture that's like covered with like the curly hair and the glasses. Some people even argue that that might be Luce Batista, the storyboard artist and who Luce is named after. So Um, I don't know if it's true or not, Um, you know, let me know in the comments if it is, but anyway, but uh, we do know that, um, you know, V is trying to locate these cards, which, by the way, we do recognize these cards. These are the same cards that um, Truffles and Ida were playing with, and, you know, this is when Ida just got rid of them because she was getting too addicted to it, and so... Uh, then we find out that there was a person who was, you know, like collecting all of these things, and they go over to, like, the Historical Society, and so we meet up with this guy named Jacob, who's the curator, and so he's talking about, oh, um, are you interested in these cards? You know, it's really popular with the kids, and then he, you know, decides to help, um, you know, V out, but then she looks around, and then she sees, like, this huge chart of, like, all of these connections with, like, Ida and the demon realm and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but and it's even like-
0: before we get to that point, you get this point where she looks in another reflection and uh, starts talking with Luz, and then uh, she basically, get, you know, starts berating her, saying, like, how could you leave for the Boiling Hours when you had such a great life here? Like, you know, like...
1: Yeah, and this is something that we really need to talk about, so... Before this episode came out, a lot of people really, really hated Camila, saying, oh, man, why do you have to be so mean to lose? You know, she was just being expressive. Why did you have to send her away to this normal camp? It's like, why couldn't you just accept her for who she well,
0: was? Well, I, I would like to push back or even that on that. Let's pretend that yesterday's lie didn't happen for a moment. And let's just focus on Camila. She's on her own. She has a pretty difficult job. By the way, we actually find out in this episode she's a veterinarian, not a nurse. So like yes. uh, so, which everyone thought she was a nurse. So at one point, uh, so before yesterday's lie even happened, she she's a single mother. She has a really difficult job. I could probably imagine being a nurse is probably not the uh, the most pleasant. Also, uh, probably very anti-social as well, because she probably has to do a load of overtime. I could probably imagine. So doesn't get to spend as much time with losers as she would like. As uh, I could probably imagine. But uh, uh, so I mean, like I could sympathise with uh, with Camila because you know she's going through the same struggles that every single mom would probably have. You know, like yeah. uh, So it's so, uh, in a way, I felt I felt like the the criticism was quite unjustified. I think because you know she couldn't be like twenty four seven in you know uh, not to say that she should be, but she wouldn't be as much spending time uh, with uh, Luz as much as then. So no wonder Luz is kind of like you know f- you know going off the rails and like you know getting in trouble at school and stuff. So like uh, so <laughs> in a way that's not in some way. I mean I can't really blame Camila for that. I really can't, and so um. And, well, anyway, we'll, we'll. I'll get into that when we get into the final scene, because oh, because that's that's intense. Uh, I'll Yeah, I'll tell you we'll, we'll get
1: to that, but um. Yeah. yeah, but V makes a really valid point saying man, you know, I wish I had your life because at least you had somebody who cared for you. Why would you run away from that? And she does have a really good point. It's well, like... we'll
0: get to, we'll get to that at the end of the episode, but kind of like conti- continuing on, then that's the point when we find out that, you know, this guy who's running the the uh, the, the historical society is like some crazy conspiracy theorist who thinks that uh, witches are sent from Mars to like, you know, get the teeth out of people or something like, something oh, like An- that. Oh, geez.
1: Okay, so yes, very similar to Steven Universe where we have a conspiracy theorist where he's kind of like the Ronaldo of the show where he's basically like documenting all of these things and trying to come up with some really weird reason on why all of this stuff is happening so yeah he he has all of these um you know magical artifacts i mean we saw the training wand we saw pictures of Ida, and we saw you know various other things so he knows that the you know that the demon realm exists and he knows that demons exist and so when V gets captured and turns back into the basilisk because she has no longer the amount of magic that she needs to transform back into Luce, then we have the situation where Luce needs to call her mom to rescue her. And, you know, I mean, V was almost about to give up saying, you know, just, you know, try to get yourself to home as you can. Don't worry about me. You know, this is where my life is going to be. And. That this is where Lu shows her compassionate self, saying, "No, e- even though that I in or- normal situations I would be, you know, kind of angry at you because you know you, um, you know you essentially like took over with my mom, but n- in a way you kind of helped me, so I'm gonna help you back."
0: Yeah. So. But here's the thing about this, like, uh, I mean, um, in regards to, like, you know, the, the conspiracy theorist guy, like, uh, I was really hoping that he was going to say, when he mentioned Mars, I was kind of like, oh my god, he's going to, like, talk about the doom theory. Like, you know, of, like, uh, there's demons on Mars, and, like, you know, you know I thought they were going to like go into, like, the whole doom story of, like, trying to get Arjun's energy or something like that, which would have been so cool. But no, I think he wouldn't have been ridiculous enough to get a laugh, so uh, I can see why they went with, like, you know, you're trying to steal people's teeth. So, uh, yeah. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, you can got to blow a hole in the surface of the Boiling Isles. <laughs> 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 right. Uh, but, uh, so, this uh, V gets captured, and uh, he's, yeah, she, she is about to give up, and... Uh, but then, Luz decides to, um, you know, sit down with uh, uh, C- Camila, uh, you know, through uh, her mobile phone, and say, hey, look, this is what happened. I'm stuck in this other dimension. And, mind uh, you, they go through... She pretty much sits down and goes through the entire story. Like, do you remember yeah we if you know watch hot fuzz um we want it together remember yeah we did so uh, yeah we watched hot fuzz and remember that bit where like uh, you know uh, uh, nicholas angel is trying to t- talk to uh, you know his, his partner about like the whole conspiracy theory that he's put together and like they go through like that whole montage and like uh, I, I and so i like to think that probably that happened with like between camilla and lose and then camilla at the very end says uh, oh I'm, I'm really i'm uh, quite you know i don't know why you're getting me involved in your games and like he's like oh it's like you know it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like that yeah so we kind of Reminds me of Half Fuzz, which is kind of cool. So, uh...
1: yeah. So, I mean, you know, did you see the look on camille's face when she heard about this? She almost looked a little bit relieved because earlier in the scene where we saw that V was throwing away Loose's old stuff, like, uh, you know, the Great Witch Azura and the statue and even, like, the little um, tin swan, she was kind of upset saying that, oh, man, you know, my daughter, I wanted her to change, but I didn't want her to lose her creativity. So when she's calling her saying, you know, I'm trapped in the boiling aisles, I need you to help me with this, and she's like, oh, okay, I'm glad that, you know, uh, you know even though you went to this camp and you're going to school, you haven't lost your creativity. So she was relieved that Luce was still able to create her creative side, and so she decided that she was going to play into this game by going over to the historical society, and you know talking to the to um, this curator. His name is Jacob, by the way. So he goes. To, uh, so she goes over to Jacob, talks to um, you know Camilla, and you know she, for some reason you know Jacob thinks that uh, Camilla is part of the government or something. And cool. You so know, when does. she mentioned yeah of course he does uh, you know she was mentioning about i want to see this basilisk and um then you know he takes her over there and then that's when she sees um you know v and then she realizes this isn't a game this is real
0: yeah so um but she's freaked out by v the fact that uh, you know this she's she was this uh, you know the playing you know lose the entire time and so but lose tries to convince uh you know uh her mother to say, "Hey, you know, she's she yeah, she's a demon, but you know, she's uh, she's friendly and she doesn't mean any harm or anything like that." And so, and uh, surprisingly, she she turns around and says, "Okay, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm really glad that uh, you know you were in my house this entire time." And uh, he tears up, and like I guarantee you, a lot of other people did as well. Uh, yeah,
1: and, and you probably wonder where loose gets it from.
0: Yeah, you do. And so, uh, by the way, so we get this scene between Jacob and uh, Camila, and so Camila tries to like play along with the fact that she's part of the government. She says, "You know what? I'm not." <laughs> she just drops his. You know what? I'm I'm not into this creative shit. <laughs> just pick, <laughs> picks up a slipper and just smacks him in the face, and it's like,
1: yeah, a- you, you know that whole two lies and a truth thing that Dana Terrace posted up on one of her live streams. It was crap. The whole, everything happened. Gus getting a gross bird, Hootie leaving the Owl House, and Camille beating somebody up. It all
0: happened. Yeah, I guess you probably posted that at that point, and then they will kind of said, yeah, let's just put them in anyway. So, like, yeah. <laughs> So, So, uh, we we get over that scene. So, V's rescued. They bring her back to uh, the house, and uh, Luz is now able to kind of, like, use the rain to reflect herself and uh, be able to, uh, you know, get somewhat be able to like talk properly with uh like with the character. so uh, uh v gives, uh, eats uh, the cards and soon probably turns back into lose probably just to kind of like you know hide her identity and continue yeah. on like the fact that I'm, so somebody' so kind of saying you know, where's lose so right. uh, she's doing that so, uh, but then you're like you know you think that like, oh uh you think that's so a camilla is like oh hey she's in the know now and she's like playing cool with it but no she's tearing up and she's terrified about what she's yeah. just been through and that's such a natural reaction that she had and, uh, then we get the bit which, um, I'm still debating whether this would have been something that the Loose character actually would have done. I felt that was, this was just a bit, I don't know whether it was a bit contrived or whether it's like, uh, uh whether it's just like playing into a Neo Geo version, I don't know. But she kind of let slip, like, I'm really glad that she went to the Boiling Owls when she had the choice to go back home. And, uh, I don't know whether that was misinterpreted or whether that was like, but, oh my goodness, however you want to play it, like, it was a terrible thing to say. You know, well, like- here's
1: what here's here's the argument that I would point out when the the, the line before this, where um, Luce was trying to you know come up with um, you know the proper discussion about okay, this is what happened, mom, and then you know she says about how she's going to try to get herself back home. And You know, let, let, let's think back to episode one, Luz, where even though that she was kind and compassionate, she was a scatterbrain and went all over the place. But now she's able to think things more clearly, and she's able to get her plan situated. And even Camila herself pointed out, wow, Luz, you've really matured since... You know i last saw you and it's true like we talked about how amity had grown over the past season Luz has grown tremendously she is no longer the scatterbrain and the goo you know like the crazy over-the-top goofball that we saw her in she is a lot more restrained now but then she mentions about like yeah the boiling aisles has changed for the better of me and she didn't even mention about uh ida she didn't mention about willow or gus or amity or anybody so she assumed that she was staying there by herself and that's why um you know Camila was broken saying like you chose this and she was heartbroken because she felt that, you know, the fact that she was going to be sent over to this normal camp and the fact that she was going to be, you know, um, seen and trying to be normal to kind of like not get in trouble in school and try to fit in with other people. Because remember, before this, Lucy didn't have any friends. So Camila was just trying to do her best. And she felt that. Uh, When hearing about that, oh, yeah, being at the Boiling Isles was the best thing that happened to me, this was kind of like a wake-up call saying, maybe I'm the one who's being wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have pushed you away. But Lucy's like, no, that's not true. I love you. It's just that this whole situation became a lot more complicated than realized. I mean, remember, you know, she kind of had to stay in the Boiling Isles, you know, not on her own volition because she had to give the door to Bellows when she was trying to save Ida from being petrified. So... That whole situation became kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that at some point she would have came back, but still, it's just that things just got a little bit more complicated than realized, so I understand where you're coming from, that maybe the line shouldn't have been said, but in a way, um, I think that the Boiling Isles was a good thing for Luz, it's just that maybe she shouldn't have stayed there as long as she did
0: yeah there's part of me that believe that she hasn't told the entire story or maybe have the chance she to do to. so like she hasn't she, ta- hasn't she hasn't told about Ida. she hasn't told about king she hasn't even told about amity like witch- how, how the hell is she going to explain that she's in a relationship with a witch
1: like, yeah uh, and also let's mention about the promise
0: yeah and so yeah so uh, i i could probably imagine she said this out of out of stress I could imagine, like, you know, she, she felt like, she you know, her mother was crying her eyes out, and so she ended up making that promise, which is like, you know, don't make a promise, you can't keep, like, uh, I mean, there's a few ways I could see that playing out entire, in the entire show, so, one, is gonna be, Luz is gonna do a bit of a flip, I think we're gonna see her, her you know, starting to kind of, like, drift away, I think, from some of our characters, even, she may even break up with Amity. That's a, that's another Ooh. thing, yeah. Like you know, like it's 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 uh it's not it, right now. What they have is just a it's just a it's just a you know a crush at the moment. Like it's just they kind of like uh, you know they are going steady, I guess you could say. But I wouldn't say it's you know. Th- Here's the thing. Also, Dana says that she's not focusing too much on Lumity. So if anything, it's just a thing that they have for one another, and it's not something that is going to play very seriously in the show. So likelihood is we might see some drama in regards to that. She might also have some conflicts with Ida and also King too. And uh, as, you know, because King's got his own destiny that he needs to look at as well. Because, you know, if uh, if there's if anything that the concept art goes on to, if you remember, like, uh, there was a bit where King is like amongst like other demons that look like him. And uh, they're trying to like cook Ida and Amadee in a pot if you remember that for that concept. Uh. So there, there might be that too. And so, you know, he might start drifting away from her and Eda and things like that. And uh, the one thing I think that might happen though, is that she might drift away from everybody and then she ends up going back. But, you know, there's still like the danger of like the day of unity and like, you know, Bella's trying to like, you know, combine both the human realm and the demon realm together. So like, maybe that still plays out and like all the craziness happens. Like, you know, we might even see like, you know, um, you know, we might even see like Empress Coven scouts, you know, you know, parading around outside in the streets in graves in like in Connecticut, you know, causing mayhem, like the whole world's in panic. And like, you know, you have Luz who's just there, who's made a promise to her mother that she wouldn't do anything and she wouldn't go back. But then Camila turns around and says, You know, Luz, you you had to do something to fix this. You know, and I know that you can do it. And so Camila might turn around and say, Look, I know you made a promise to me, but you know, look how the world is. Like the the the, the Emperor's coven is literally on our front lawn. You know, like she pulls the curtain back, and there's <laughs> there's like Steve, like parading around with like a <laughs> with a staff. You know, like he said, okay, I believe you need to do something now, and so um, you know, and that's how. Uh yeah, uh, you know. Uh, so one badass thing I would really like to—I'd like to see Camilla go through like you know uh, an ash from Evil Dead kind of like you know uh, thing. Like uh, I'm not talking about her you know welding a 12v shotgun and having a chainsaw for a hand. I'm not talking about that. But uh, you know I'd like to see like uh, oh hey losing I need you to go back to the boiling Isles and fix all this and save the world. And don't worry, I'll come with you. And maybe they both get trapped in the boiling Isles and they both live out their lives their lives out in the boiling Isles. Maybe I don't know. Like maybe that'd be a good way to end the show. But uh... Yeah,
1: well, we'll definitely wait and see. But before we go over to that last bit, um, there's something that we missed. So going back into the scene where uh, Jacob was describing about the history of Gravesfield, he was talking about how it was a peaceful um, you know, little town around the 1600s, but then two brothers were being confronted by a witch, and then they were never seen again. So is this Philip bane and does he have a brother—
0: you know the the theory that's currently going around at the moment is that the brother might be the reinc- hunter might be the reincarnation of Philip Woodbine's brother. Wow! Wow!
1: <laughs> this is this is huge, by the way.
0: Yeah, this you is a show that understand. keeps on giving.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's that, and also the fact that you were just saying earlier about that. Yeah, the the, 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 the the direction that um, the Owl House might be going in terms of like Luz making the promise to her mom to go home and maybe she'll have to distance everybody. I mean, you know, even Dana pointed this out that this is going to be a darker season. And we just only saw like the first half of the season where it's a lot lighter. And it's true, like, you know, the later the earlier seasons were definitely a lot lighter and they were like slowly delving into more serious things. But now that we're going over to the second half, a lot of people are saying this is where things really get started.
0: Yeah, and uh, that kind of worries me a little bit because, like, uh, what we've been exposed to for, so far is, like, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I really do think that uh, Dana, I think, at some points, I think needed to kind of, like, let up a little bit and say, okay, let's just, like, uh, have. I mean, I'm not saying that just, you should do filler episodes. I'm not saying that at all. But, uh, I mean, like, uh, has there been an episode where someone hasn't cried? In the in this oh, season,
1: jeez! I mean, King cried, Hootie cried, Ida cried, Loose cried, Amity. Cri- oh my God! I mean, everyone's crying em-
0: in the in this yeah. season. Like, and there's not an episode where it just kind of lets up. Like, you know, why not just have like a kick-ass season where, like, uh, you know, just uh, where you know, and have some kind of like progression in it. Like, right now, it's just it's uh, uh, like uh, I just feel. Like, I tell you actually, I, I lie. I think uh, wasn't uh, I mean, it wasn't Eclipse Lake? I don't think anyone cried in that, as far as I'm aware unless I'm unless I'm um, wrong. Um, mm, I'm trying to think I mean uh, I he how had a freak out it was building digging his own grave I mean uh, yeah I mean, there,
1: there was an existential crisis sure yeah
0: I mean yeah but uh, like uh, as far as I'm aware like uh, yeah like uh, this this show I mean I have got to be honest the, the final scene out of all of this and uh, this is a really kind of haunting uh, image to leave off is um I'm just going to go and say lose breaks the fourth wall in, in this like she I, I get the feeling that when she looked at the camera and when she looked at like you know, w- you, know you can see like all the emotion in her face you can kind of feel like she's kind of like you know trying to translate that to the viewer to the audience which is like uh, you know <sighs> that's okay when you're like trying to like do like an off message or something like like a PSA or something like you know like uh, and stuff like that. so like you talk to the viewer about something like the characters want like want to interact with, like, on like a, on, a, on a level like that but you know to do it within the show The context of the confines of the show. I just think uh, when that happened, I could kind of like. I, I I just see it in the eyes of a Disney executive, like uh, of like you know, f- for us the Owl House fans, I think for like the hardcore fans, you know, that could probably be like you know, oh wow, that's a really like you know, storytelling kind of like you know, like a a, a really you know, natural emotions I have to like you know, transmit that to like the person who's looking on the other on the other side of the screen. But for a Disney executive, it's kind of like you know, I don't know, like I just feel like it'd be something that you would leave for like a lot later on in the show. Like, uh, to do it now, I think uh, it kind of makes me feel like you can see that all, like, all her emotion in her face, and, like, see where, like, this is not going to go in a very good direction. I can just see a Disney executive saying, like, yeah, we need to cut season three in half you know
1: yeah jeez this is <sighs> going to be harsh man like i mean it's this is going to be how people felt about steven universe all over again in which like oh man you know after the trial you know after you know steven was called in you know for the actions of his mother you know what's going to happen next Jesus. and then we had like this hiatus is going on so it's like yeah we'll go through like one emotional gut punching moment after one emotional gut punching moment
0: yeah but i can so. kind of, i can kind of see why disney kind of like are probably having a very feeling very nervous about the owl house at the moment because, like, apparently if it gets darker than this, I mean, like, where the hell are we going?
1: I don't know. But all I know is is that uh, the episode definitely leaves you on a heart-punching note saying, okay, uh, we need to have Luce try to find her way back home pretty quickly because... Well, her mom is really, really missing her. And, you know, just the fact that we were able to see that heartbreaking conversation where, you know, she was even like Camila was doubting herself, saying, I haven't been a good supporting mother. You know, it's my fault that you left. And Luce was trying to tell her, no, that's not it. And you know, we were getting really close to like getting some more information, but unfortunately, the the portal was running out, and so she couldn't really tell her all the things that she wanted to.
0: Yeah, and so mind you, like uh, the way things are going right now, i um, I get a I I get a feeling that uh, you know, uh, you know, she's gonna be seeing her mom sooner rather than later, because like you know, if uh, this, uh, I mean, keep in mind, like uh, Hunter's got the other got the key, and also got some of the Titan blood. So, yeah. like, uh, there's a possibility that, uh, you know, Emperor Bellows might still get might get his portal working before, you know, uh, before Luz does. Yeah.
1: About whether how, lo- uh, how long that the portal will last is gonna be a question, because we saw what a little bit amount of Titan's blood was able to do with the portal door that they were able to put together. So, I don't think it'll last very long. I mean, I don't know how long, um, you know, the Day of Unity is gonna last. I mean, I don't know if that's gonna be an entire day, like, literally a day of unity, but... Um, you know, if th- whatever the Day of Unity is, if it's going to be like the awakening of the Titan or whatever, like combining, you know, all the two worlds together, it's like th- there's definitely going to be like a, a like a particular amount of time that's going to be passing by. And the fact that um not only do we have 11 more episodes left of season two and then three t- 45 minute specials for season 3 and that's going to be it unless of course if there is going to be a season 4 or a spin-off series or what have you if um you know the hashtags and the petitions go really really well but yeah, I mean, theres it's going to be a matter of time before we do get to see, um, you know, Luz trying to have a, another attempt of going over to the human realm. And, you know, they're not going to have a lot of resources because, as we know, Titan's blood is really, really rare and they just use one of the five fingers from Amity's glove and they only have four attempts left.
0: Yeah. So, that's yesterday's lie. And uh, it's... Uh... Now, here's the thing about this. I'm not saying it's not a good episode. I am saying it is. But, uh, wow, like, uh, this... Uh... We're we we're, we're not going down a good place. I think uh, it's um yeah. I think all the stuff that we enjoyed. I think in the first half of season two. I don't know. Like, uh, um, here's the thing about this. Like, going into hiatus. I mean, maybe we could probably have this discussion now. Maybe a little bit before we get into monsters. Monsters of work. I mean, like, uh, look, going off yesterday's lie. Where do you think we're going for the moment?
1: Okay. You know, I I mean I think that we're definitely. It's going to be like more focused on the day of unity. I think there's gonna be a lot more focus on Emperor Bellows. I think there's gonna be a lot more focus on like, you know, the full Philip been having a brother situation and, you know, what what was the story behind that? There'll definitely be a lot more focus on maybe maybe there's there'll be a connection with King's um past and, you know, the whole Day of Unity kind of thing. And As for like you know the fun episodes, I mean maybe they'll start it off like early on, but definitely like a lot later on they're really going to amp it up just like they did with like Adventure Time and Steven Universe in which they really upped up the ante with like okay this is what's going to happen you know we're going to have you know the the Great Gum War we're going to have the fight between Yellow Diamond and White Diamond and Blue Diamond we're going to have this huge massive thing that's been built up throughout this entire time and it's all going to come together whether it ends on a happy note or a sad note i don't know knowing dana terrace where she said that she doesn't even like the phrase happily ever after i think it's going to be pretty bittersweet
0: yeah so I i don't know she doesn't like happy endings but i guarantee she's probably got a whole team full of writers probably like her trying to wrestle it off her I, I, I can see that, probably, but uh, we'll, we'll see.
1: We'll, well, we'll definitely wait and see. But in the meanwhile, uh, yes, we are going to be going through this hiatus. We probably won't even see episodes of The Owl House until at the earliest winter, at the latest spring. But that's okay for all of you fans, because we do have Amphibia coming up in October. And then there's, of course, The Ghost of Molly McGee, which is going to be coming out around the same time. So you know, we got a lot of other things coming up and also for Aaron and I, we have a lot of other things that we need to catch up with.
0: Yeah. Mind you, like, uh, here's the thing about this, like, we're going into hiatus and we've left it like, you know, uh, Lou's looking emotionally traumatized and then you've got the Ghost of Molly McGee and I'm not saying Amphibia is not, like, at its moment as well, but uh, I can see Disney taking a look at those two shows uh, within that hiatus point and, like, say you know what, um, we've got all we need right here, like, you know, uh, also there's no, just because they greenlighted season 3 doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen you know. Well, like- I
1: mean, I don't I don't know uh, at this point in time, but let's just assume that it is going to happen, but if it does, it's definitely going to really up the stakes. I mean, even Dana mentioned that uh season 3 is supposed to wrap up everything. So, yeah. if that's the case, then yeah, we're in for a long ride. But in the meanwhile, we do have um, this hiatus going on and uh, also like the codes like Rebecca Rose likes to do where she was able to like decode all the things like uh, you know the titles where you know the first letter of every episode it spells out a message and so far with the 10 episodes that we have received it says seek the key and we already know about the key because that's the key to the portal door and as of right now Hunter has it and then we have the other codes uh, which you if you look around in the episodes there's like these um, Galleon letters that if you've put it together they spell out something and so far this season we have seething seas and puppet strings he no longer dreams of and dreams of what puppet strings we don't know there's a lot of things that hasn't been answered yet but in the meanwhile we can only theorize look back on some of the episodes to see what we know now we can be able to piece together and uh yeah uh, in the meanwhile um i'm definitely enjoying what we saw this season it is a massive improvement over season one for sure and um yeah we definitely need to sit down and we need to talk about what are what, are, what have been our favorite episodes of season two so far
0: yeah i mean like not, not knocking on Hootie's doors probably like been uh, probably my favorite episode because we thought it was going to be a filler episode and it turns out to like be your massive story driving episode so uh i think uh, yeah that, i, that's kind I, of I definitely I feel, agree I mean. yeah so
1: uh second favorite would definitely have to be Ida's requiem because of just how amazing the animation was and the fact that we were able to be introduced with a new character with rain and it definitely like delved more into like how we got to see Ida and i really liked it i thought it was just just like a a great showcase of who Ida was
0: okay so yeah we'll talk about more about the Owl house uh, later on we got a casual chat's coming up i do believe Yes, uh, we
1: do, and uh, we got a lot of other cool guests who are going to be a part of it, and, uh, you know, we got some uh, other favorites that we uh, had the first time, and, uh, you know, we are really excited to discuss about Season 2A, and, my goodness, it's going to take a while.
0: Mm -hmm. Anyway, do you want to talk about a less inspiring show? (laughs) If we must. Okay, so, Monsters at Work, Episode 7, so, um, you know... This is the episode where a character who had basically about 2-3 minutes of air time, of uh, of screen time on the original movie gets more character development than all the all the characters that we've been left with in for like 7 episodes of this show. Okay,
1: much. so for okay, so for those who haven't seen the episode yet, and you wanna you know watch this before uh, listening to us, so yes, the abominable snowman does come back from the movie where you know he was banished for some reason. We don't know why. We didn't know why, but we will in this episode. But yeah we all we knew about him was that mike and sully uh were banished because they were confronting water noose with the scream extractor and you know boo being left around in monstropolis and everything was go- causing a huge commotion and so they were thrown into the himalayas and we got to meet up with the abominable snowman and the only reason why he was there was because you know he was with mike and sully giving them snow cones and then sully was trying to figure out how to get back into Monstropolis, where he did find out that in Tibet there was a village, and he can be able to go over there to get back. And that's all there was. That was it.
0: And by the way, yeah, n- in order to understand what happens in this episode, you have to have watched the movie. So.
1: <laughs> yes, that is very true. So in this, okay, so the episode starts off with um, Tyler learning that there, you know, um, there's a huge heat wave going on, and that. Uh, scream uh, laughs I'm sorry are in huge demand because everybody's turning on their air conditioning everybody's trying to find their ways to cool down which geez is super relatable nowadays like it has been 92 degrees in Alabama and it has been hot like overwhelmingly hot and so when I saw this it's like oh it's uh 200 degrees over here and I'm like oh geez I, I relate to this so much and so uh, Tyler thinks that this will be a great opportunity for him to show off his laughing ability so that he can be able to become a jester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A different verse, same as the first. So then we find out that, uh, you know, in order for him to, um, you know, really get himself out there with the laughter, then he needs to collect all of these, like, um, you know, weird um things to make kids laugh and he gets a rubber chicken and so uh then he accidentally um gets himself locked up in his horns when the um the doors are not coming in all the way and so then he ends up over into the banishing door where the abominable snowman is and There we go, with the same situation about, like, hey, you know, I got a buddy here. Here, have some snow cones. And then, um, you know, because he left the door open, that's when the abominable snowman decided to walk amongst uh, Monsters, Inc. and try to interact with everybody while trying to also hide the fact that he's not supposed to be here because he's banished. And so Val decides to find out the reason why he was banished. And... It actually sounds about feasible, to be quite honest.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but here's the thing about this, like, it kind of confuses, like, um, you know, so, I guess Monsters, Inc., I guess, gets the, some kind of, like, legal authority to, like, banish Monsters? I,
1: I mean, guess. this is Water News we're talking about, so it makes a lot of sense. To be quite honest, I mean, Water News was, you know, he he. I mean, this is the same monster who said, "I'll kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die." So yes, if Water News was in charge of this, and if anybody was against anything that he was for, like especially with the scream extractor, where you know, hey, we need to get profits up, I and mean, we saw this in the movie where profits on Monsters Inc. was at its lowest. And so he was willing to take desperate measures to keep the company afloat. And so if anybody were to find out about the scream extractor, which we did see that it was very unethical to kidnap children and force them to scream so that they can be able to power everything. And if the abominable snowman knew about this, then yeah, that's why they would send him over to be banished, which I wonder how long it took for them to find out. Like how long was the scream extractor built before, you know, he was banished? It's like, was this like a new thing? Was it going on for a while and they just needed to f- do the final tests of it? It's like, okay, like, there's a lot of questions that I have to ask regarding about this.
0: Yeah. So, but uh, here's the thing about like, oh. like uh, you know, Monsters Inc. apparently has, like, some kind of, like, uh, I guess, I don't know if uh, if they have, like, again, I don't know how politics works in uh, Monsters Isn't like, monster? Uh, you know, that's one thing I think uh, we would have thought we would have, like, uh, maybe learned about, like, even more exp- expansion into, like, the monster world. You know, like, how does it actually all work? Like, you know, how did uh, Monsters incorporate actually get the legal authorities, like, banish people into the human world? You know, like... Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean,
1: like, what about Bigfoot? What about the Loch Ness Monster? I mean, what's their story?
0: Who knows? We might find out about them. Like, uh, we've got plenty of uh, characters' developments in the in the, in the uh, adorable snowman, as he now known as. So yeah like- that is
1: true. I mean he, that's that's a, that's a really nice um callback to what he wanted to be called in the the movie. He's like I wanted to be called the adorable snowman or the agreeable snowman. So yeah, I guess his name is adorable. So yeah, anyway, so he decides that he's going to be um, interacting with everybody, seeing how they're doing. And, um, you know, he gets um, really close to uh, going over to the jokester room so that he can be able to prove himself. And then he finds out, oh, wait, I don't need to do that anymore because they already accumulated all the laughter that they needed, even without Tyler. So then he starts feeling guilty about leaving the, um, you know, adorable in you know the himalayas where he's making the snow cones for everybody and then he decides to let him free and then he brings out the snow cones and it's like oh wow we haven't seen you in about a month but hey you know it's been really hot lately so thank you for these snow cones so it's like I mean, that was pretty quick to like, you know, make a monster who was banished for like a pretty dark reason, and then just like bring him up immediately.
0: Yeah, I guess they probably haven't got to the point where like uh, they're talking about monsters being banished. I guess like, and because uh, even they themselves were, like kind of shocked when the door came in. It's like, oh, well, uh, like uh, we do you remember this door? Like we couldn't recall like from like a couple of months ago, but uh, like uh, then uh, they open the door and then they realize what it is. So. Um... My, it's like uh, so. I guess banishing now. I guess is going to stop under Mike and Sully. I guess. Uh, I guess at this point. I, so. guess. I guess maybe when I see some of the other monsters come back, like that have been banished before. So uh, yeah, but uh, now the the uh, agreeable or the adorable snowman, whatever you want to call him, apparently he's now going to be selling ice cream uh, for or snow cones uh, for the foreseeable future.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the best episode that we've seen so far of Monsters at Work, but still, I mean... But the
0: fact that the side character gets more development than all the other characters in the show. Yeah,
1: I mean, everybody's still the same. Tyler still wants to be a jokester. Val is still a lovable goofball. Cutter still treating her work seriously and talking about, oh, I remember when I used to do this snare trap and trap one of my husbands. It's like, oh, wow. Um, We watched two episodes in a row involving with snare traps. One with Jacob trying to capture demons for, you know, the historical society. And then now we have this episode where, you know, she was using a snare trap so that they can catch the abominable snowman. What a coincidence. What a
0: coincidence. Just, uh... Yeah, but uh, you can tell that we enjoy the Owl House a lot more than we do enjoy Monsters at Work at the moment. So,
1: I, I mean, like I said, I mean, it, you know, it could get better. We still have three more episodes to go, but, I mean, I think it's just slowly inching its way to be better. I mean, still, I, I, th- I still think that episode five is the worst episode so far, but, I mean, episode six wasn't that bad. It was just kind of meh. And episode seven, yes, we did get the Abominable Snowman back, and, you know, there were a handful of you know chuckle worthy moments here and there so maybe they're starting to pick things up
0: yeah i mean in regards to tyler i would have liked to have said like you know uh, if a tyler and said hey you know like uh, maybe i should probably look through you know instead of like you know concentrating on like you know being the jokester like hang on a second there's like other secrets in monsters incorporated i've discovered over the time maybe i should probably go look at all those maybe maybe that might distract him from 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 being a jokester at the moment and like that'd be interesting development like uh, maybe he probably might do all of this it's like he might get to the end and say you you know something, Um, I probably wouldn't have discovered and like, I had all these adventures and all these episodes if I had, uh, you know, c- c- kind of concentrated on just being a jokester this the entire time. Maybe there might be an opportunity where it's like, yeah, he gets a chance to be on the Laugh Floor, but then decides, you know something, I kind of like being a Mifter now, you know, and uh, decides just to adapt to that to, or something like that. You know, but uh, I just feel like uh, this is just another episode in the show. So, uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, not, yeah, not really much to talk about because I mean, other than the abominable snowman getting some development and knowing the reason why he was banished, then, yeah, I mean, it's just Tyler losing the opportunity to become a jokester, and then he's like, oh, there's other opportunities. It's like, okay.
0: Okay. Well, until then, uh, without, until he gets a little opportunity, I guess we've got nothing else to talk about. So, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, yeah, we'll be talking about monsters at work for the next three weeks.
0: Yeah. Okay. Take care, everybody.
1: See ya.